Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the I'm No Joe podcast. Thank you very much for coming back today. It looks like it's just going to be the homeboy TJ and I for right now, but we do have a couple more folks waiting in the wings. We'll see if they manage to make it in with us before the show ends. Uh, but right out of the gate, TJ, thank you again for coming. And how you doing, brother? Fan fucking fantastic. Excited to be back a second week in a row. Hell yeah. Finally getting ourselves onto a, a schedule here. That's I fucking know. great. Cause it's almost it's like adults are doing it. It's like, yeah, it's like we're actually adulting. We're going to get shit done. I know, right? It's kind of scary. I'm almost nervous to jinx it. <laughs> uh, you're right. We probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> right, right. So we, we do have a couple other folks standing in the wings, schedule dependent. Hopefully they get a chance to jump in. If not, TJ and I are going to break this down for you. So what we've got for you for this particular episode, we've got, as usual, we've got the, the recent news and events, the things that have happened and the shit talking that's been spieled over the last week or so. And then when we get done with that, we're going to move in and we're going to break down a little bit about this weekend's upcoming UFC 234 card, which <laughs> has some repercussions that could potentially shake up a division that everybody has their eyes on right now. So before we jump into the meat and potatoes on the second half here, let's jump right into some of the news and uh, updates that have gone on along the week. So I want to start by capping off a little bit of what happened at last weekend's UFC Fortaleza, uh, Brazil, Marais versus the Sunsiao card. Um, the first thing I want to talk about here, we called it. We knew it was going to go down. We just didn't quite see it unfolding the way it did. But I'm talking about Johnny Walker and his fucking spectacular spinning back fist finish. But it's not the back fist that I want to talk about. What I want to talk about here is right before he landed the last ground shot that they got the fight stopped with, he threw what would have been a blatantly illegal kick, soccer style, right at dude's face and missed by the narrowest of margins. But it makes me think that somebody who's got a little bit more experience than most of the new up-and-comers in Johnny Walker threw that kick that should never have been thrown. And then he tried to say afterwards that he was aiming for the guy's stomach, which would have been legal to kick in the stomach from the ground like that. But that's two cards in a row. Johnny Walker threw that kick that was clearly illegal, and he knew it. And then previous to that, you had Greg Hardy throwing that stupid fucking knee that got him DQ'd, which – any fighter who's been in the ring more than twice, and especially with the way that they break down the new rules for you in the back, should have known in both situations that those were illegal. So what I'm wondering is, are we've got? Do we have a a, a new breed or the up and coming breed of fighters who are just getting so in the moment that they're not paying attention to the rules, or do we have a couple of up and comers here because these aren't the only two; they're just the most recent two. Do we have some up and comers now who are sort of disregarding the rules in an attempt to kind of get win by any means here you know um i think we we covered this pretty well last week and i think it could go one of two ways one there's a blatant disregard for the fucking rules which very well could be i mean on the other side of it i can also think rookie mistake um mainly because both of them are younger fighters absolutely like, and younger in the sense of where they're at, yeah. Um, not necessarily age-wise, but the other portion of that is 
you say you're kicking for your fucking stomach, that stomach is a far cry from this right here or this right here. Mm -hmm. It's not so much up here. It's more so down there. That one, I think he was full of shit. I think that was a blatant disregard for the fucking rule itself. He knows the consequences. So, one, I'm glad that he missed that kick. Absolutely. Um, Because that's a fight ender. That is also a really, really bad negative on you as you go forward throughout your career. Because then you get looked at as a dirty fighter. Don't be a dirty fighter. Look, I understand it. Like the big one, the knees as somebody's coming up. Maybe they didn't have all their weight off of their hands for the new unified rules. That's understandable. I get it. You might not feel their weight shift right when they're coming up. I get it. Those ones, kind of acceptable. Not really still because they're still illegal, but right. when it's a soccer-style kick, this isn't 1FC. This isn't fucking pride. You can't do that shit in the UFC. Yep. Fucking learn your rules. Train the rules. Train to the rules. Do you soccer kick your fucking sparring partner in gym? If you do, you shouldn't be in that fucking gym. They should have booted your ass a long time ago. I'm just saying and most gyms, too. If you soccer kick a dude like that, not only are you going to get the shit beat out of you by the, the fucking residents, but then you're getting thrown out as well, and you're not welcome back. So, Yeah, see, it's just not an acceptable practice. I get it if you say, oh, it was an accident. I understand accidents happen, but you don't do that shit purposely. It's, it's just not a, it's not a good look for you. Uh, and don't say it was an accident when it wasn't. And to be honest, in that one, I don't think, I really don't think that one was an accident. I think that was, a, I can't even call it a rookie mistake because it was way too close to the fucking head to be the stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was. And it sucks because, like I said last week, I'm a big fan of Johnny Walker's. I'm, I'm not really so much a fan of that Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series just because of the people that he's given opportunities to that I don't feel should have been given opportunities Johnny Walker prior to this week was one of those few exceptions that I I could use as an example of, you know, that series is bringing up some legit talent and they're bringing up some, some, you know, potentially big stars. And then Johnny goes and pulls some shit like this. And then afterwards said that, you know, he was aiming for the stomach. Like now I got to take a skeptical eye whenever I watch your fights, because like you said, that's one of those things that, yeah, there's always a possibility it could have been an accident, but the way that it went down, it sure as fuck looked intended to me. Yep. That's uh, just calling a spade a spade. It is, and it's it's kind of sad, but, you know, if, if anything, I guess you could say that the silver lining to that fuck-up is going to be that you are most definitely going to have more eyes on his next fight to see if that's a potential repeat situation or if he's learned his lesson and he's going to be legit so i mean i guess if there is anything good to be taken away from that he's definitely going to get himself a little more attention from it whether it's good or bad you're still going to have more eyes on you yeah but moving on from johnny walker and his swing and a miss Olay kick i do want to take a second here to give credit where credit is due and talk about Charles Oliveira's fucking beautiful submission to add on to his already record-holding top submissions in UFC history. Now, I've said it before, and I will continue to say it again. I am not a fan of Charles Oliveira's. I don't really like the way that he fights. I don't like his attitude outside of the octagon. 
but I am not so petty as to not give credit where credit is due. And that man is a fucking neck destroyer. And if you give him the slightest opportunity, he's going to do exactly what he does every fucking time recently. And he's going to grab you. He's going to wrap you the fuck up and he's going to choke you out. And you really, at this point, you got to start wondering how long are they going to keep Oliveira hanging in that mid tier level when he is holding the fucking submission stoppage record and increasing it every time he goes out there. Now, granted, I'm not saying he's the next fucking guy to run the division. What I'm saying is it seems to me like a guy who's putting this many fucking submission finishes down in a row, holding the record should be getting a little bit higher tier opponents at this point. Like example, cowboy he's been a great gate gatekeeper. He's been great running the shit out of the middle of the pack and keeping the riffraff down. But at this point, you start to see he's putting it the fuck together and he's getting real good. And now he's going against Connor. He's starting to break into that top tier and get his legit chance. And I think it's about time we're going to have to start considering Oliveira to make that same move. I'm going to say yes and no. This is my reason behind that. Yes, he is fantastic when it is coming to the submission game. However... I look at this in this same realm of Damian Maya. Damian Maya, fantastic submission specialist. He will finish guys if he can get a hold of them and get them on the ground. Oliveira's kind of, yeah, exactly. And Oliveira's kind of falling into that same kind of category right now. But anybody who is understood and figured out how to beat Maya can watch those tapes and be able to beat Oliveira just the same way. Because they're kind of falling under that same style set. Don't get me wrong. I like the style because I enjoy the jiu-jitsu practitioner. That's an oh, yeah. art form to me. It's a fantastic working art form. But if that's all you have in your toolbox, chances are you're not going to last long at the top. It's, right. To be honest, um, the only reason Maya has lasted that long is because he's figured out how not to get hit for most of his career. For most of it, yeah. And I say most of it because in this latter half, he's been caught a lot more. Where is in his younger years, he was a lot quicker. And I guess then in that case, I guess you can say Oliveira, he's still in his younger years in that grand sense. So maybe, but once you get up there, you have to have more in your toolbox than just the submission game. And don't get me wrong, I love that he's got the submission record. Not that I love him as a fighter, but anybody who can string that many um, submissions together and finishes and not to mention run a record with it, that's fucking fantastic. The only person that's going to be pissed off about that now is probably Cerrone because he's going to have to go out and finish people with submissions instead of knockouts. <laughs> right. No, and, the, and, and I agree that that is a great comparison between Oliveira and Maya. And I think um, the only real thing I would say that might contend with that a little bit would be Oliveira does have some fucking great striking. It's not his go-to. His go-to, just like Maya, is that jiu-jitsu. He wants to wrap you up and choke you the fuck out. But Oliveira does have a decent little bit of striking background, whereas we've seen, especially like in the fucking Woodley fight with Maya, if he can't wrap you up, he's going to spend the rest of the fight shooting single and double legs at you. And that's one of the reasons that Woodley fucked him up so bad is that instead of just standing and even setting up some feints to try and hide the fact that the takedown is the shoot is coming, he literally was just going back after the leg, after the leg, after the leg, and Woodley was just pounding the shit out of him and pushing him away. And then you saw this last weekend where Damian Maya went up against Lyman Good, who everybody thought was going to be another Tyron Woodley match. He was going to punch Maya's fucking face off. And sure enough, Maya slipped him up, jumped on him, became the fucking backpack, and choked him the fuck out standing up. So 
both of them have amazing world-class jujitsu. I think the difference here is that Oliveira does have a little bit more striking prowess, and I think that might carry him just a little further than, than Maya's been able to do with just the jujitsu. You're right. He does have a little bit striking, but the way I look at his striking, it's just enough to know it's there. Right. It's something he needs to, if he wants to progress to that next level. And, and don't get me wrong, he can make a run for the title if he gets a shot by submitting people. It, it can be done. I mean, look at Maya. He's been yeah. there. Yeah. But you don't win the title without that striking because you're not hiding your takedowns as well. And if you're going to get up there where you're going to face somebody who is a world-class striker and has a mediocre jujitsu game, guess what? You're not going to beat them because they'll still feel comfortable even in a jujitsu match with you because they've got the hands. Yep. They've got options more than you do. That's it. That's all I'm saying. But, no, he does have some striking. I'll give you that. So – Moving on from talking about Du Bronx and his record-increasing submission wins, I want to take a minute here because this gentleman has already announced that one way or another, winning or losing, does not matter. He is done fighting as of 2019. He just hasn't announced yet. I had a feeling he might have been hanging him up last weekend, but he did not, and it might be a good thing that he did not. I am talking about Jose Aldo. Now, For a man who in his last couple of fights at 145 looked about as lackluster as a former champ could look, Aldo looked great in both of his fights at 155 and then came back down to 45 and specifically asked to keep it at a three-round fight. And if you go back and you watch that fight, I don't understand why he did. I mean, I know that there's that potential for him to go five rounds and maybe run out of gas, but if you look at the way that he performed last weekend against Moicano, it was very reminiscent, in my opinion, of Max versus Brian. The way that he absolutely dominated a fucking destroyer like Moicano effortlessly and wasn't getting too crazy. He did a little bit of chasing, which was a little scary for a minute there, but he was on point. He was moving good. He was striking good. He was being pretty fucking smart about his tactics. Aldo really looks good, and the problem with that is that he's already announced he's done at the end of this year regardless, and he only has two fights left on his contract. There is enough time for him to get both of those fights in this year, but it's one of those things where now you got to scratch your head because we've seen Jose get just destroyed and look like a shell of his former self, and then last weekend you see him look like he's the Jose Aldo of old, the king of Rio that everybody fucking loved, the dude that nobody could put a hand on. And now you know for a fact that he's hanging him up sometime in the next 10 months one way or another. And you got to kind of wonder, like, is this him doing what we saw with uh, the, the uh, 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 fucking brain fart? Not Benavidez, the gentleman who retired, who hung his gloves up. Shit, I got a brain fart. <laughs> uh, five, two cards ago, gentleman hung his, hung his gloves uh, up. Wasn't, um, Dennis Bermudez. Bermudez, Dennis yeah. Bermudez, that's who I was thinking of. Whew, brain fart. You, you got to wonder if this is a, a Dennis Bermudez situation where he knows it's coming to an end and he's just willing to go out there and fucking lay it all on the line, win, lose, or draw. He knows it's done, so why hold anything back at this point? Uh. He knows he's going to retire. He knows that. And I'm going to say knows. Even though he said it, people can change their mind. Especially if you get on a fucking solid run. 
right? All those last two fights, he's looked fucking fantastic. He looks like the Aldo of old from those last two, where I want to see him make a run at a title shot again. Yeah. I want to see him fight a Max Holloway again, even though he's been destroyed by him twice. He would just have to work on his gas tank, of course, and be able to keep that fucking insane pace. Yep. No, the way he looks, he looked, and he's still young. He's what, 30? 35, I think. 34, I think, or 35. But either way, he's fucking young still. Don't get me wrong. I can't say young when it comes to the fight game, but you're you're still in that middle age where it's 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 not not fucking. It's not late to have that run at the title. I mean, there's other guys out there that are older than you that are still trying to make a run at it. I mean, in fact, we're going to talk about one of them tonight. Well, and Um, two weeks ago, Romero is 42 and made it. And had two shots in a row at the belt and gave Whitaker some trouble in both fights, realistically. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's all possible. I don't, I can't, if he wins his, the last two fights on his contract and he goes a five fight win streak, whether or not that last fight is going to be a title shot or not, I don't know. But as solid as he's looked these last two, I wouldn't doubt if he wins one more good solid fight against a highly ranked opponent that they might give him a title shot. Is if that's the case, by all means, go out on a title shot. And if you win, fucking retire, vacate the belt, call it a fucking day. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Absolutely. That's, go out like a fucking legend if that's the case. Because you know what? That would be a legend's way to go out. He's oh, a yeah. legend in my eyes. Any Either way you cut it. But I just can't see if at the route he's going, I just can't see him retiring like this. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to be fucking highly stoked if he does, though. Right. Not because I won't miss seeing him fight, but because he's doing it at the right time on his clock. Right, and he's Not, earned the right to do that. Yeah. He, he, he was fucking the pound for pound greatest for how many fucking years? For a decade, literally for yes, a decade. A decade. <laughs> Look, there's, there's very few fighters that have come along that can do that. He is one of them. Anderson the Spider Silva, was it seven? 17 fight win streak. Um, 16 or 17 in a row. 17 in a row that he won. He held the title at middleweight for, fuck, what was it? 10 years, I think? Not quite. I think it was a little shy. He took it from Rich Franklin. But but he held it for the better portion of a decade. Yeah. And still, look, there's only a few other fighters that I could think that could possibly reach that. One of them, John Jones. However, there is that little hiccup in the middle, which we know that yep. you fucked up, dude. I get it. But there's there's very few fighters that come along like that in your lifetime that you'll look at and go, you know what? That's the guy to fucking beat. It's kind of like look at look at boxing, even for example. Um, I hate to say this because I'm not a fan, but Mayweather, fucking king of the ring. Period. They, these guys fall all under that same category. When you retire, do it on your own accord, not because you're so fucking brain dead from getting beat up. So if he does retire, my fucking hat's off to him. I'll be bummed because I would love to see him keep fighting. But at the same time, I get it. You're doing it on your smarts. And you know what? He's going to have a fantastic career after the UFC, too, I can guarantee, because he's going to go home to Brazil. He will have whatever gym he decides to open up, and he's going to train some fantastic fighters that come out of here. Mark my fucking words telling you right now today when he goes and he starts training other fighters you will see at least one world champion come out of that gym if he's training them oh yeah 
And now one other thing I wanted to, to get your opinion on here. Nothing is beneficial. This is all pure speculation on my part. But seeing as how we've covered quite a bit in Aldo and then in, in the 145 division over the last couple months over the history of the show, what do you think about Aldo's potential next fight against Ortega? Because Moicano was the backup for both Ortega and Max. So Moicano is in that top three, and he just beat the shit out of Moicano. So realistically, there's only two more people above him in the division, and nobody wants to see him go back and fight Max for a third time this quick. I don't think that, that fight is not a possibility. I think that could be a great potential final fight. But I think realistically, in my opinion anyways, from the way that division's been running, the way that he's been running, I think the match to make for him right now for his next fight is going to be versus Ortega. And I think that's got all kinds of weird potential in it. That does have some really good potential in it. Ortega went on a fucking tear up until he hit the the wall, pound for pound king in my eyes right now. Max Holloway, because you know what? I don't give a fuck what the ranking says. DC, you're not the pound for pound king. Not a fucking chance. Uh, look, you're a great fighter. I'll give you that. I'm not your biggest fan. I'll tell you that much. But you've done wonderful things for the sport, and I greatly appreciate that. But you are not pound for pound. I don't care if you're a two-division champ or not. Um, two-division champ doesn't mean you're a pound for pound, the pound for pound king. You've had losses in there. Yep. Um, albeit, you know, I'll give one of them was thrown out afterwards. Whatever. The no contest, yeah. The no contest. But still, there's losses in there. But right now, I would say the best fighter out there is probably, I mean, and I'm saying all around pound for pound, I would say Max Holloway because he's destroying people who we think are going to give him trouble. Yep. He's had one loss since he's come into the division, and that was to Conor McGregor. Yeah, seven that, years ago. That was at the start of Conor's tear. Yep. Too. So we have, to, we have to put that in perspective. Look how far he's come. I would guarantee, I would I'll lay fucking 10 to 1 odds. If Holloway fought fucking Connor right now, Connor would get destroyed. I love Connor. I love his brash fucking Irish attitude. Shit, talk about your mother, your religion, everything. I love that shit. It's fucking great. Makes for great fucking fight lead up. It does get under some people's skin more than others and cost them half a million dollars and a year's layoff. But you know, whatever. What do I know? What are you going to do? <laughs> um, but anyhow, I'm just saying right now, Max would be that guy. But to see what I'm, where I was going with this before I got off the Ortega Aldo train here and stopped on Max Holloway. No, it is what it is. Where I was going with that is I'm wondering how is um, Ortega going to bounce back from that loss? That's my question. Yes, the, the fight to make right now would be Aldo and Ortega. That would be what I would see going in the right direction. I don't know if we're going to ever see the same Ortega we saw before because Max did some major work to him. And it's not – I mean, don't get me wrong. He's going to heal up. He'll be fine. Right. But it's the mental aspect of how did I get worked so goddamn badly that they have to throw in the towel to save me from myself. Well, but at, at the same time – sorry to cut you off here. One of the main reasons that I'm suggesting that this could be a potential great fight – is because the same exact thing happened to Aldo by Max. 
twice in a row. That's where that famous quote, the man's tired. That's where that came from is when Aldo was getting it put the fuck on him by Max. So I think these guys both have that same mental acuity from those type of fights against him. Here's the kicker for this, though. Aldo has had a chance to go back, regain himself, get a couple fights under his belt. He's won a couple now. Ortega's coming off that loss. That's a whole different beast. Because, I mean, even when you saw Aldo come off of those fucking two losses to Holloway, he did not look good his next fight out. He looked fucking miserable. Now that he's regained his composure, got his shit back together and looking like the fucking Aldo of old, I don't know that Ortega would come into that fight with that same mindset of, yes, I'm going to rip your fucking neck off and put you to sleep like he did with so many other people. Namely because that loss, it wasn't just a loss. Look, everybody's going to get a loss. I get it. That was his first loss. It's a learning experience. You got you got your O taken away. It happens to every fighter. It's the fight game. That's what happens. But after a beating that bad, getting worked like you're a fucking sparring partner. Yep. It's it, it wasn't pretty, and I'm and I'm so fucking bummed because I love T City. T City's yeah. fucking fantastic. Not to mention he's got the fucking personality to go with it, where he, he's the right kind of person you want in the spotlight. Hell yeah. However, you're in a fucking super tough division, dude. That's, there's no other way to put that. I mean, look at the guys that are around you. You have legends. You have legends in the making of Max Holloway. I have a feeling he's going to run the tables for a long fucking time. But I just don't see how he can bounce back from this fight and go right into Aldo, who is on a two-fight fucking just fantastic tear. Because I will say that is a tear. Even if it's only two fights, yeah. that is a fantastic tear where he's looked just fucking phenomenal. Well, and on the other side of that as well, if Ortega is going to be a long-running serious contender, like it looks to all of us like he's going to be able to do, this is the type of situation that he's going to have to get used to because at the level that he has already put himself on, there are no easy fights at this point. You've no. gone against Max, and you're going to go against Max or whoever's holding that belt again. I have no doubt whatsoever Ortega's going to go back at that belt again. Maybe not immediately, but within the next year or so, I think Ortega's going to be fighting for a belt again. But I think part of that is going to be you need that mental test. Yes, you got the brakes beat off of you to the extent that if your corner wouldn't have stopped you, they'd have carried you out of that fucking ring in a stretcher with no pulse. But – I have to equate that at least a little bit mentally to being the king of Rio and getting starched with one shot in 13 seconds. Because we all saw that broke Jose Aldo for a fucking good minute. But at the same time, look at the guy that we saw fight last weekend. There's no fucking memory of that 13-second fight in his head right now. He's fighting like that fight never fucking happened. And I got to believe yep. that with the potential that Ortega has, he should be able to do that same thing. And I think with the, the matchup of opponents that the two of them have in common, I think this might be a great test. I, don't get me wrong. I would love to see that fight because, you know what, I, had it not been for where Aldo was at, I think um, Ortega would have fought him on the way up. I agree. But with the shit that – Although that going on. Yeah, he was, he was playing at 155 at the time, so I get it. He was up playing above his weight class. 
Yeah. And doing his own little kiddo things. I get it. It's fine. Do your thing. You're the king, dude. You're the king, man. Fucking all hail the old old king. Right. Might not run the division right now, but you know what? You're still the king because you did it for so fucking long. You're just retired. I mean, you're saying you're going to retire anyway, so I'm just going to call you retired until I see otherwise. Retirement in progress. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be a fantastic fight. I hope they make it, Um, but that'll all be seen. It'll be just kind of one of those. I really think everything that that's going to have to do with is how good that fight will will be or would be if it is made is going to depend on how Ortega bounces back off that loss. Because if he comes in as the Ortega we know he can be and acts like that loss never phased him or he's forgot about it already, it'll be a fucking barn burner, especially if Aldo looks the way that he does right now. Right. That's one of those ones I would say I can't even throw a toss up on. Like, I threw a toss. <laughs> Look, I threw, I'm not, you guys know it. I threw a fucking toss up on the Holloway Ortega fight, and I was dead fucking wrong. Yep, right there with you. And, and it's okay. That's part of this whole armchair quarterback thing that yep. we got going on here where I'm going to make guesses and I'm probably going to be wrong a lot of the time yep. because everybody's got a puncher's chance or a submission's chance. Yep. But it, it'll be a, that'll be a barn burner if he comes back with a solid fucking, um, yeah, I feel, gr- I feel great. I don't even realize I lost attitude. If he comes in with a, Fuck, I gotta get over this goddamn fight, and that's why I'm fighting again. He's gonna lose. Yep. I agree. I agree. So, from there, we'll move on to I don't wanna call it a controversial subject, but it's something that's got everybody's eyebrow raised, and maybe not necessarily for the best of reasons. Marlon Marais's win last weekend over Moicano. Now, this is another one of those situations. I am not a fucking fan. I have not been a fan. I've watched Marais's fights for a while now. Yeah, he's got ability. He's got some skill. I don't feel that he is anywhere near top of the heap in the 135 division. And I understand that Asuncion was number four and that MMA math ranking blah, blah, blah should put him up. But that's not the fucking world we live in anymore. And realistically, while Marais might be on a three-fight tear, Aside from the, the rematch against Asuncio last weekend, none of his other fights have been against any big-name opponents. They haven't been any big barn burners. They haven't been devastating, you know, immediate, un, you know, unresounding, fucking earth-shaking knockouts or big, devastating wins. And then after he wins last weekend, he gets on the microphone and he says that he's tired of TJ playing with the little boys down at 125 that he already considers himself – the 135 pound champion and that the UFC better make his next fight against TJ for the 135 belt. Now, bullshit in that statement aside, (laughs) fuck you. I, on top of that, in his post fight press conference, when he actually sat down in front of the table with all the reporters, he just expounded on that same thing that he is convinced that since he's, you know, on the win streak, and he beat Asuncio, who everybody praises, which they really don't, that he's the guy to beat in the 135-pound division. Now, two things I immediately take away from that. One, go fuck yourself. 
a victory does not a champion make. You have to earn your fucking title shot, earn that title, and then earn your right to be called a champion. And he hasn't done that. But for two, he is completely and blatantly overlooking Cody Garbrandt, Pedro Munoz, and Dominic fucking Cruz. Those three gentlemen, like it or not, are still above both he and Asuncio. And even though Dom is hurt right now, which we all know he's going to come back from, you still have Pedro and Cody that you realistically need to put a solid stamp of contention against before any intelligent, any forward-thinking Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard would realistically, or hopefully at least, give you a shot at TJ's belt. Now, aside from all that, we've also still got this controversy of TJ and Henry getting run back at 125, at 135 to contend with. So, aside from all that, I, I think that Marais has gotten in his own head a little bit. And I, I hate to point fingers, but my immediate thought where this fucking new cocky bullshit attitude that very much resembles Henry attitude is coming from is fucking Ali. His fucking manager, the same guy that manages... Uh, Henry, the same guy that manages Marais, the same guy that manages Khabib. That whole fucking squad in the last year or so, you have watched a noticeable and discernible change in all of their attitudes and all of their their process towards the fighting go a little more, for lack of a better term, Connor-esque. They're all talking way more shit. They're all acting way more prideful and boastful. You see the chest pops out anytime there's a microphone in front of them. And now Marais is basically calling himself the 135-pound champ and telling TJ to go stay at 125. Now, I understand talking shit makes fights. You build the hype that draws the fight in. That's how Connor got most of his great fucking matchups. He threw the shit out there. It worked. They made the match, and it was successful. I don't think Marais has that kind of prowess. I think at this point, he's really bumping his gums to try and get himself a shot. I don't think he's ready for it. I don't think he's earned it. What do you think? No, he definitely has not. There's too many fish that are way above him, not to mention um, who are his last three fights other than Marais. Or, or, I'm just saying there was n- – the only I person he's fighting right now is himself. Yeah, I couldn't tell you off I, the top of my my head who the last three fights were other than Marais or Asuncio. Uh, Asuncio, yeah. But um, Marais is, in my opinion, he's fighting himself. Don't get me wrong. We all know that in the last, let's see, three years or so, maybe I'll even go back as far as four, certain people, and I say certain certain fighters because not all of them, certain of them have um, what I like to call the golden tongue. They know how to talk. They know how to push their agenda without having um, Simsim Ali over here fucking whispering in their ear, telling them how to inflate themselves. Connor, I'm going to use him because he is the biggest prime example of this. He talked his way from fight to fight to fight the which fight he wanted. When he first came to the UFC, he didn't. Then he realized, I can run this shit. And he knew he could. He, He didn't let his... I, he, I can't even say this because it doesn't work for him. He had an alligator mouth, but not a canary ass. Whereas somebody like Marias, look, dude, you got three people above you. Your alligator mouth is going to overload your canary ass. And you're going to get your ass whipped. 
you're not getting a title shot. Not with the TJ Cejudo thing that's going on here because we know they're going to run that back before either one of them defends the fucking belt again, which is bogus. But that's for a fucking different day. I don't even <laughs> want to talk about that shit because it pisses me off. Uh, I agree. This, I, I think Cejudo needs to stay down where he's at. TJ needs to stay where he's at, defend the belt up there. And like you said, you've got fucking... All, all above him, you've got fucking three fantastic fighters that are sitting there waiting for their shot Well, TJ dabbles down with the little boys. And, you know, I'll, I'll use the words, yeah. You're playing with the little kids there. Fuck it. I'll, I'll give you credit on that one. You knocked that one out of the park. Stay in your way, Stay in your zone. TJ, you've never fought down at that weight class before in your fucking life. At least not when it mattered. Right. So... I get it. You wanted to go down there and show your hot shit. Unfortunately, you got caught in a bad stoppage. I'll say that much. But other than that, he needs to go back defend up there. But he's got three other guys that um, he could defend against. Um, however, two of them he's beaten. Right. One of them he's beaten twice. So I guess still, there's one of those three fighters that he could fight long before he fights Marius. At Marius the people you have beaten are not of any noteworthiness. So it's, it's not like he's got a, he doesn't have a fucking ace in the hole right now. He, he's trying to talk up his game to get that immediate bump up. And I get it. You see a lot of fighters doing it, but you don't have that golden tongue ability. You're talking yourself into the fucking dunce corner. Yeah. That's all I'm saying because you just don't, you don't, it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the prowess. You don't have the fucking flair. You don't have the right flair in your attitude to do it. And if you do, you're going about it all wrong because the way you're the way you're talking through it, it you're you're calling out one person, one person only. I get it. You want a shot at the title. Everybody wants a shot at the title. But. Do your own homework before you open your fucking mouth. Because right now it sounds like you have diarrhea of the mouth and shit is just falling out. I get it. The, the title shot thing, that's what you keep going to, talking about TJ. You can't call TJ out when you haven't beat a top three opponent. Suntel, four. I get it. Right. Okay, you're close. And you did make good work of him. I'll give you that. But at the same time, you need to be the top three opponent. Most There's very few fighters you see that do not beat a top three opponent before they get a fucking title shot. Most of the time when that happens, it's because somebody has to step in because somebody else got hurt. Yep. Which is, is ironic because one of the things that I was talking with a, a buddy of mine yesterday about is that it, it's not exactly the same situation, but it's close enough to give resemblance. Marais pulling this bullshit after a win against someone who really didn't bump his standings and his, his value up in the rankings that much and then immediately turn around and talking shit about the belt. He reminded me a little bit of 135, excuse me, 135 pound Colby Covington. Because as much as I don't like that fucking ass clown, he has got a legitimate and undeniable wrestling prowess background. The kid does have some skill. The problem is, he is not nearly as skilled as he think he is, and he, uh, to to paraphrase here, 
very much lets his alligator ass get his, or his alligator mouth get his canary ass in a lot of trouble, which is one of the reasons you see that dipshit sitting on the sidelines with his Make America Great Again hat, not getting fucking fights. Still pumping his gums, not getting no fucking fights. So I, I'm immediately reminded of Marlon being like a tiny little Colby right now. And, you know, this whole fucking playing with the little boys is his nerd bash. It yeah. doesn't work, man. Ask Colby. It doesn't fucking work. Like, don't go down that road. No. <laughs> if you don't have the swagger to pull it off in the right business sense, you're not going to get there. I mean, if your manager's Ali, you obviously don't have the right fucking business sense anyways. Right. Yes, he's managing fucking champions right now, but on the same side of that, um, yeah, exactly, champions. I'm just saying, for that, you just you don't have the fucking swagger necessary to talk like that and think you're going to get what you want. It's not your cup of tea. Fucking move on to coffee. Right, right. Okay, so, fuck Marlon. We'll move on to our next subject here, which has got all sorts of unpackable goodies in it. The next thing I want to talk about is the one, the only, the GOAT himself. He is now a free agent. We are talking about the one and only Artem fucking Lobov. So Artem came on to Ariel Hawani's MMA show this week and gave a, a pretty in-depth, at-length interview, talked about a whole lot of things. So Artem's plan for the future I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's going to happen. What I'm saying is that Artem's plan for the future as of right now is he does not want one contract. He does not want to go to Bellator or to one or to Ryzen. Artem wants three contracts. He wants an MMA contract, which he said he's already in talks with both one FC and Bellator. And I believe it because it would make a great pickup for either one. He also wants a kickboxing contract because he does have a kickboxing background as well. He's talked about two potential upcoming kickboxing fights. He doesn't necessarily want to assign with a promotion, but he wants to take some kickboxing matches. Very Connor-esque, but, you know, I respect it. You want to go after it, go after it. But the third thing that he wants, following suit from his mentor, he wants a boxing contract. And he is specifically, <laughs> he is specifically calling out Pauli Maldonaji. There's a difference between Connor Box and Polly and putting him fucking down in training in the videos that we've seen and Artem fighting Polly Maldonaji. Because while Connor and Artem may have similar styles to a degree, the levels that they're on are so unequivocal, it's not even funny. That laughable bullshit aside, the one thing that I will say that Artem talked about that I will absolutely give him props for and say that I 100% agree should happen legally when it's allowed to is that Artem's main concern right now is getting his fight with Zubair back on because that was the original fight that he was going to have uh, a month ago or whatever it was before the whole shit with Khabib happened. It was originally something that they'd been trying to put together for two years. These guys don't like each other that much. And then with all the shit going on, Zubair's gone. He's not in the UFC anymore, so that's not an option. And he said that that was actually part of the motivation that he used when he told the UFC that he wanted to be released. And now there's talks about the two of them potentially fighting in Chechnya in early August, or, uh, or early September, rather, late August. That, I think, would be a great 
unofficial, unsanctioned, just two independent exhibition fighters having a match. But the thing that I have to give him the fucking credit for is that Artem made a point to say that when this fight happens, because he's going to make this fight happen no matter how long it takes, when this fight happens, he is already committed. He is donating 100% of his purse to children's charity. He's not going to keep a penny. He is strictly taking this fight for honor, and to prove it, he's going to give away every penny he makes from it. Now, whether you like Artem or not, you cannot fucking deny that is a man who is trying to show that he is not just here for money, that he is here for honor and the prestige of fighting. And whether you like him or not, that's something you got to tip your fucking hat to. Fucking A right. You know, and you're giving it to a worthy cause, which is even better. I mean, if you're going to give it away to a children's charity of any sort, that, that's just making the world a better place. I don't care who you are. And you know what? If it comes from MMA or an unsanctioned fight between you and fucking Joe Blow, it doesn't matter. That's fucking fantastic. I don't care wh what promotion picks it up. Right. I will find a way to watch it just because I, I, I will stand behind anybody who's going to do that. Absolutely. Like them or not, it doesn't matter. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny because Artem might not have the greatest record. I think he's 13, 15, and 1 at this point as a, an overall professional. But at the same time, when you look at Artem's wins, Artem has fucking skill as a fighter. He may not be the most consistent, he may not be the most well-rounded, but Artem has fucking skill. And anybody who has enough skill to make a run in the UFC like that, to be a professional fighter for as long as you are, to openly come out right away and say, I want this fight and I don't want it for the money, I'm going to donate all my fucking money to kids' charity, that's how much I want this fight, I'm inclined to give that guy a tip of the fucking hat and say that this is something that maybe we as a professional industry need to start looking towards here, because this guy is showing you chops that almost no other fighter has ever done. I know that some fighters have taken some of their winnings and given to charity. Some fighters have done promotions for charity, and now Khabib's going to do the anti-bullying PSA bullshit. But <clears throat> this, I think, is on a different level. And actually, there's a retort for that. Uh, Khabib was just on Russian TV and said he is not going to do the bullying. He's just going to serve the suspension. Ooh. Yeah, Interesting. That, um, I... I was perusing the YouTube early and just ran across it. I was like, huh. So basically, he's like, well, screw them. And um, he said, screw, and he basically said, screw the Nevada State Athletic Commission and their um, allowing Nevada as a whole for allowing drugs and prostitution and all these other unholy things. Get the fuck out of here with your overly righteous self. You can go fuck up a rope. In fact, I wish they would have permanently banned you from the fucking sport. But you know, the, it's just me. Well, and then that also brings up another interesting topic here because uh, he had, Khabib had actually mentioned previously that he was considering, if they gave him a, a short suspension, that he was actually considering riding out an additional time period after his suspension so that him and his entire team would be eligible to fight at the same time. He was willing to accept longer time on the bench so that his team, who got suspended as a whole, will come back as a whole, which. Look, I get it, you're loyal to your guys, but that's fucking stupid. You're the fucking champion, and you're the one who's been saying, if you don't defend your belt, you don't deserve to be called the champion. And now you're going to voluntarily take a year instead of a six-month suspension? 
because you don't want to do a fucking commercial over something that you Bay. put yourself into the situation for. Exactly. Vacate that belt and give it to Tony Ferguson. Exactly. And I think if that's what he's actually going to do, that could set up a couple interesting potential fights here because there's no question. Dana has said it. All the fucking pros have said it. We have said it. Tony is the fucking guy that gets the shot at Khabib next come hell or high water. Now, the interesting thing that that's going to make, though, is that now you've got Cowboy versus Connor in that mix, and Connor is still number three. But aside from that, you've got Al Iaquinta fighting for a fucking shot at the belt now. And if you deny Al Iaquinta, you don't deserve to be a fucking fight fan because that man of anyone in that goddamn division has earned his fucking shot at that belt. And I'm not even talking about the fucking one-day notice fight he put up against could be before. I'm talking strictly on the work that he put in against Kevin Lee on top of that fucking Khabib fight. He has shown that he can take anyone in that fucking division that stands in front of him and give him a hell of a fucking workout. And it makes me immediately think that there's something going to be going in the mix here because if he's officially going to take that long suspension, Dana said if he's gone for any longer than six months, we're taking his fucking belt because he can't hold up the vision that he was complaining about being held up before he took the fucking belt. I'm just saying, you know what? Maybe the interim title thing, I like when Tony Ferguson. I would fucking love it. I would 100%. And hey. you know what would even be better to make that card Al versus Tony for the interim with Connor and fucking Cowboy as the co-main, just the same way they're doing with the same 185 division for this weekend. Yeah, you know what the prop, The only problem I would have with the Tony Ferguson Al Iaquinta fight? I wouldn't know who to fucking root for because I love them both. <laughs> I'm telling would, you, I, man. I would cry one way and then I would be joyful at the other. Yeah. Because I, to be honest... I would love to see Al get a full fucking training camp for Khabib because I'm pretty sure right now the two people I can guarantee that will beat Khabib would be Al Iaquinta with a full training camp and Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson don't even need a full training camp either because yeah, no shit. He's just way more well-rounded, and I don't think he would get wrestle-fucked like Connor did. No, he'll spend a week up in Big Bear kicking I mean, trees, and then he'll be good to go. Even, even Al didn't get wrestle-fucked like Connor did. Yep. Nowhere near as bad. I mean, yeah, he got wrestle-fucked a little bit, but... Well, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that Connor's been, for the most part, the majority of his career has been a striking career. Yes, he's got some grappling, and he's got some submission abilities, but... When you look on the other side of that table, Tony is a fucking 10th planet wizard. He's got great striking, and he is a fucking wrestling and jujitsu protege. And the same with Al. Al is a fucking wrestling master with great striking and submission abilities. So I think those two guys, realistically, if Khabib has decided that he's going to play pouty cake and sit on the sidelines having a fucking pity party with his homeboys, cool. Step the fuck out of the way and let Al and Tony go for the belt and let Connor and Cowboy go for the next runner-up because I think that's a pair of fights that will both be fucking spectacular to watch unfold. That and then depending on how that interim fight would end up, whoever, if, if it was something that was a quick and they might have a quick turnaround time and then we get to see another interim fight between Connor cowboy winner and whoever wins the Ferguson I went to fight and I think that would be the way to go to make that although the UFC does do some shysty shit where they, they might go they might go you know what because it's Connor we're gonna make this the interim fight between Connor and cowboy and then that person's gonna fight Khabib when he comes back 
And that's because of the Connor name. That and because look, their numbers, this is what matters to them. It's the fucking scratch. Don't get me wrong, they do want to put fights together that fans want to see sometimes. But at the other side of that, they also want to make a buttload of money. And they know a repeat of Connor fucking that will make a buttload of money. Well, and to add to that, I don't want to say it's the thing to do, but it makes sense to me to potentially make Cowboy versus Connor the interim fight. As much as I love Cowboy and as much as he is on a tear, he himself has also said that he only has a couple more years left in the fight game that he knows he's the old dog now and he's starting to fight against all the young pups and he's not going to be able to do it forever. But he himself has said that he and his team have stopped the old mentality of I'll fight anyone, anywhere. He's only concerned with fights that are going to put him towards the belt. That's as close as going towards the actual fucking belt as you're going to get. And it's not the ideal situation and it's not what I would say would be my first pick for a result. But I can't honestly say that I would be mad if they made Connor versus Cowboy for the interim and Cowboy took the fucking goal. I wouldn't be mad at that at all. He deserves it. That dude is... Exactly. Exactly. So much phenomenal work. He's got records for days that I don't think are going to be beaten anytime soon because he keeps adding to them every fight. Well, and on top of that, he, he himself has said... He's not got much longer at this. He's, it's not that he's waning. It's that he doesn't want to do this the rest of his life. He's got a family now. He's got more kids on the way. He's got things outside the octagon to keep his interest. And he's got the BMF ranch. He's got the Cowboy Fight League going on now. He's not doing this for the money. He's doing this because he loves the fighting. And I would fucking love, as much as it hurts me to say that this would be the way that it would have to go, I would still love to see Cowboy versus Connor for the interim. Cowboy fucking takes it, gets the gold, maybe fights Al for the actual unified belt. But Cowboy with a fucking belt around his waist that he has goddamn earned at this point before he has to ride off into the fucking sunset. Whether he beats Al and he holds that fucking belt or he just gets the interim strap and then Al beats him and he decides it's time to step back. I want to see Cowboy with gold around his fucking waist before he retires. Exactly. And you know what? The way I look at Cowboy right now, he is the greatest fighter out there to have never worn a belt. Yes. In my opinion. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. He was, he was always the guy. You want to fight? Fuck it. I'll fight. Doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. You can be pissed drunk fucking Kareem off the street. I don't give a shit. He didn't matter who he was fighting. Bob, Joe, Buck, whoever. Oh, Joe Buck would be kind of fun to watch him be. <laughs> I was going to say. That'd be an interesting <laughs> match. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah that, that, that would bring up some instant. Awesome fucking ramifications. To be honest, I hope that motherfucker does sit the whole year just so that way we can see that happen. I agree. I, it wouldn't break my heart in the fucking least bit. Yeah. But the next little piece that I want to talk about here real quick, just a couple things that literally were just released this afternoon. Um, they did have a little bit of non-event press for the UFC 234 press, uh, press event that they had in Australia today. And they had a couple people who aren't on the card and have nothing to do with this card get a little bit of airtime. And the first one I want to talk about just real quick, Tyson Pedro showed up. They gave him a microphone. It was a little weird because he walked in on crutches. So you immediately were were taken aback and like, what the fuck is going on? And then he starts talking. Tyson Pedro 
had ACL replacement surgery three days ago. The fight against Shogun apparently fucked his leg up so bad that he had to have the ACL completely replaced. Now, Tyson's been a little bit scarce from the limelight since that fight, and we all kind of wondered, like, did it really get in his head? Was he really hurt that bad? As strange of a situation as it is, as odd of a thing as it is to say, I'm glad that it turns out that it was just his leg that he's gotten repaired, that he's already, he's moving around on, he's walking, he showed up at the fucking 234 press event on crutches. I'm glad to see that it's something like an ACL tear that he could have repaired with surgery as to what the rumors were. The rumors were that he was in a real fucking dark place after that fight and then he was considering not coming back because it, it really fucked him up. That's becoming a more and more popular thing because now that we start to understand more about CTE, we start to understand more about the life of a fighter, especially in regards to a big loss. It's nice to see, and again, it's, it feels weird to say, but it's nice to see that he was injured and not depressed because Tyson Pedro is one of those motherfuckers of motherfuckers when he's on his shit. The fact that he was potentially stepping back set up a whole bunch of weird feelings for a whole bunch of people because the guy is fucking great and he's got a chance to really be great now we know after his ACL repair. But the question is, with an ACL repair, how long are you going to be sitting on the sidelines now? Well, that depends. With Look, I, I, I'm formally medically trained. Right. Uh, so I'll, I'll go on the medical side of this. Um, from where things have come, let's just say in the last day. I, I, look, I've been out of working with actual patients for, I can say, a decade now. Since 2009, that's when I stopped working in a hospital setting. But in that decade, just since I've left, I've seen how far those types of surgeries have come, especially the orthopedic side of the house, because what I did, I did radiology. So I dealt with all that shit all the time, seeing how fast people were recovering, doing x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, whatever it was that we were doing to them. But you could see the speed at which they recovered from an ACL. That used to be minimum of a year. And I say used to. You look at guys, um, let's just say, look at football players, for example. Um, They have access to the greatest doctors in the world. So do world-class fighters. He is a world-class fighter, thus the reason he's in the UFC, period. You have access to the greatest doctors, greatest physical therapists, all of that. To be honest, I can see him being back within nine months. I, and I, I, that depends on the extent of the injury, of course. Right. I mean, and how the surgery went. But if you're up and moving within three days and at press conferences for all that, for that to top it off, right? you're, you're going to be on a speedy recovery train. I have a feeling that he won't be out as long as we think he is. Um, it might take him it might take him a year to actually get another fight, but that's only because he's going to have to train after he comes out, rebuild the strength in that leg. Right. But the, a lot of that strength rebuilding will come from the physical therapy itself. Because knowing that he's a world-class athlete already, he's going to be able to push it a lot harder than you or I because right. I blow an ACL. But I'll guarantee it's going to take me a while because I'm fat and out of shape right now. And right. although round is a shape, 
not the kind of shape you want to be in to rehab a knee. True. Very true. He just had this happen when he was in the peak fighting shape. So he didn't lose a lot since that, so he's going to recover a lot more quickly. Not to mention, they're going to have him on whatever supplements to help him recoup and recover quickly. Now, of course, he has to make sure that all of those are okay with USADA and all that other shit. Well, and I think because he's injured right now and he's technically out of competition, I think if the doctors were to give him like a a small steroid dose to help him regain the connection in that leg and help rebuild muscle, I think he would be allowed to take that so long as it's doctor prescribed, it's only the short round, and then it's out of his system before he comes back to in competition or potentially competitive state. here's Here's the thing with steroids. They're looking at ones that cause increased testosterone. Right, not anabolics. All steroids, not all steroids that um, they use for helping healing are anabolic. Right. So it, it would depend on the type of steroids they're giving him, whether it's an injection, an anabolic, whatever, whatever the case may be. There's a very good chance that he could be using them already to right. help recover. And under doctor's guidance, of course. So when it comes to that, this is where I have my biggest problem with um, with the testing itself. I don't have a problem with um, testing at all because I don't like the idea of juice fighters. You're hurting yourself because it's going to cause you problems in the long run. But also, you're more apt to hurt somebody else because you're juiced up. Yep. However, there's a caveat to this. If you are under doctor-prescribed steroids, I think that should be something that is just wiped because – it's not you looking for an edge. But it, it should be only considered in cases of injuries. Like this, for example. Um, the other one that stands out so fucking highly in my mind. Anderson Silva, when his leg was broken in the Chris Broken's a nice fight. way to put that. Yeah, broken's a nice way to put that. Yeah, when it was just fucking wrecked. That was the, look, I, I've seen quite a few gnarly injuries. Even that one made me flinch. I mean, yeah, that was brutal, man. That's still to this day. It just gave me the heebie-jeebies thinking about the. I watched that live, so just thinking about it again gave me the heebie-jeebies watching that. Yeah, and it's crazy. Even on a pay-per-view, that's the one of the only times you've ever seen them cut away from a fucking fighter. Yeah. And, but his, he, him, what happened, as he's rehabbing and under doctor's orders and all that, they have him on a steroid. He pisses hot because of the steroid they had him on to help him rehab and get his shit back together, fucking banned for a year. Now, the second time, though, was on him. Yes, I was going to say that happened again, but the second time was him doing it recreationally, not the doctor situation from Yeah, and that one I don't condone. The first one, yeah, I'm perfectly all right with the doctors helping you out. Absolutely. Those ones should be just overlooked. Make sure that your testosterone levels that they're looking for – and making sure that wherever they're there should there should be like this median range when you're on a doctor's order because they can tell the doctor is going to be able to tell them exactly how big of a dose you got. Yep, they should be able to track it. Order, and they should be able to track it, and as long as they can do that, and you're within an acceptable limit, I think those ones should be overlooked. So that way, fighters can get back and go back to what they do. I can it's, agree with that, and I'm perfectly all right with that. However. You saw it in them. They don't see it that way. They don't give a fuck because they want you 100% clean. Don't get me wrong. It's going to ruin a lot of fights. Even Daddy Dana said that the other day during uh, 
was at the 235 press conference that they were having. Yeah. Or, yeah, 235 yeah. press conference they were having. He said it. It does ruin a lot of fights. But at the same time, it's safer for the fighters. So I get it on that aspect. But when it comes to the medicals like this with the blown ACL, I say let him have his cake and eat it too so that way he can get back to fighting. That's all I I'm agree. saying. I agree. And the other thing – there's so much to unpack from this crazy fucking broad. The other person that they gave a microphone to at the uh, press event today who had all sorts of things to say about everyone except herself, the former strawweight queen, Joanna Jacek. Now, I'm Polish. So when she started coming up in the fucking UFC ranks, not only was I excited to see a great female fighter being fucking dominant, I was even that much more excited that it was a fucking Polish gal who was kicking ass and taking names like it was no fucking tomorrow for her. But, that's a big asterisk, but since her tear initially, she has not only had her ass beat several times by women in multiple divisions, she is noticeably, as far as the fighting is concerned, a shell of what she used to be. When she was the boogie woman, she was fucking terrifying. She was all aggressive, but she was smart. She would come in, she would cut angles, she would cut you off. She was intelligent about the way that she fought. And ever since the first time that Rose put her ass down and she tapped to fucking strikes, she has not been the same fighter. And then following that, Rose beat her ass again to secure that. And then Valentina beat her ass at 125 where she said she would be more comfortable and more like herself. So then she comes out this afternoon and she's talking shit about Rose taking time off because Rose had some mental health issues that she's been very open about after the whole Connor situation. She's talking shit about Rose not coming into the octagon for a couple of months. She thinks that she's going to come back to 125 now and just walk up and take the belt away from Rose. She said she's going back to 125 and she's taking her belt back from Rose. For one, Rose has already got a fucking fight against Endrage. You're not even in the fucking title contention anymore. For two, how are you going to talk about how Rose took too much time off when that was preceded by her talking about how she spent the last four months in Mexico doing Lucha Libre wrestling and shooting a Netflix movie and that she's taking more time off. They offered her a fight in March and she told them, no, she doesn't want to fight again until September because now she's taking a second vacation back in Poland for the next couple months. So it seems a little ironic to me that you're not in title contention anymore, but you're still talking like you are, which is what lost her a lot of fans initially after that Rose fight. And then you're going to criticize Rose for doing the exact same thing that you're doing, but she's doing it for legitimate mental health medical reasons. You're doing it because you want a little fucking vacation. It seems kind of like Yoan is getting a little bit salty here, do you think? Oh, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. Um, because there's two ways I look at this. I'll give you both. Because um, one... Um, Rose, get the help you need. I'm all about that. You know what? If you, if you have a problem, get it taken care of. Absolutely. See whatever doctor, shrink, psychologist, whatever. Talk, you yeah. need. Talk to somebody. Fucking go to group therapy. I don't give a fuck. 
get it taken care of. However, Joanna, you were a fantastic champion until you got the break speed off of you. Not once, but twice. Once you tapped the strikes, no champ ever has tapped to strikes until you. Not okay. Ever. You're a fighter. You fight. If you're getting your ass whipped, you take it like a fucking adult on the chin and you wait for the ref to stop it. You don't fucking tap out. Now that I'm done with that, because that part does make me angry, the second time you didn't tap out, you let the ref stop it, did the big girl thing, you had your big girl panties on, and I'm proud of you for that. Yep. Sorry you did get beat, because don't get me wrong, I loved having you as the champ. I really did. You were tearing through, and you did scare people. Hell yeah. However, um, you are no longer the boogeyman. People have gotten in your head in more than one weight class. Hey. You just got your shit kicked in again. I'm just saying. It's not a good look, and then you're worried about the time off aspect. I get it. When you were defending, you were defending a lot because you weren't getting hurt. Yep. You weren't having any health problems. Now, with that being said, everybody needs their medicals. I get it. This is the fight business. Your feelings are going to get hurt. You might have PTSD because you're afraid of a dolly being thrown through a bus window at you again. Yep. You're a fucking fighter. Get the fuck over it. Go and fight your demons in the middle of the fucking octagon. And then on your days off from training that you do have, those are the days you should be getting psychological help. I'm going to say that right now. Rose, I love you. You're a great champ. But at the same time, deal with those demons during your training schedule. That's something you can get help with and not hurt your body while you're training. You should be training for a fight. Be ready to go into the fucking ring at any given moment. You're not hurt. You beat the brakes off of your last opponent. Yes, you have a mental issue, and I want you to get the help for that. At the same time, that mental issue does not stop you from fucking fighting. So, this is the part where I will say, devil's advocate, yes, she is taking too much time off for that. I get it. You need the help. I'm not here to stop you from that. And I truly do help you get the help. Because you know what? Nobody needs to live in that world. Right. Period. I get it. I have friends there. I have family members there. But at the same time, that doesn't stop them from going to their jobs every day. That doesn't stop them from paying their mortgage. Yeah, still got to pay your bills. Taking care of their kids. Guess what? Your job is to fight. You are the champ. Act like it. Deal with your problems. It's fine to be very open about it. We're, I'm very proud of you for being open about it because you know what? I'm sure there's other fighters out there that are going through similar things, but they don't talk about it openly. And you bringing light to the subject is good for everyone. However... Those other fighters that are going through the same thing, they're not taking time off for that that we know of. Because we don't know because they don't have it out in the open. So I'm going to say, since you have it out in the open, teach people how to deal with it properly. Do your job. Yeah, Max even had that issue. That's right. Max has done a whole fucking press release about how he was seriously fucking depressed during a fight camp for Ortega. 
but you never fucking knew it. You never could tell by the face that he put on the front of the camera. He waited till his fucking job was done, and then he went in length talking about how the depression yeah, had him fucking gripped. This, this is where this was when I said I, I don't want to play devil's advocate here, but I do. You need to do your fucking job and fight. You need to be in camp, man. On your day off, if you get one day off a week. Make that day off the middle of the week or something. So that way there is a psychologist open or pay a fucking psychologist to come and see you on the weekends. You've got plenty of money now. You're the champ. I know how that shit works. You have endorsements, all those other wonderful things that can get you the treatments you need. Uh, Here's where I feel like if I'm abrasive to somebody, I don't give a fuck. Because you know what? I know there's other people that are probably going to watch this that have their own demons and think that I'm being... Oh, I'm rough and abrasive. I don't give shit. No, I do care about that stuff. That's people need treatment for those types of things. Cause you know what? That's how things like suicide and things like that pop up. We don't need that happen. But at the same time, it doesn't stop you from doing your fucking job. It doesn't stop you from getting in there and punching the bag. It doesn't stop you from getting in there, training your jujitsu, your wrestling. Mental health will not stop any of those things. And I get it. You, it. Mental health is a very big issue and makes a huge difference in the way that you might train or do this or that. But you've been dealing with this openly, and yet you've still gone in and wrecked the most fearsome strawweight fighter there was. Not once, but twice. You shouldn't need the time off because you've done it before. You can do it again. That's all I'm saying. Just do your fucking job. Deal with your problems. Please let us know how it's going because we would all like to know and make sure you're all right. Right. Fuck, if you see this and you want to talk to me directly, feel free to fucking call. I'll be your shoulder to cry on or just a fucking bitch at me because I'm a dickhead. But please do so because you know what? I do care about your mental health because you know what? Once you're perfectly back in balance and check there, guess what? You're going to be an even better fighter. But we know you've been dealing with it. You're already phenomenal. Just go back to work. That's all I'm saying. You've got this in the bag. Come on, sister. Do your thing. Rose, I have nothing but love for you, but please just get in there and fucking do work. I agree. So there was one other thing that you want to said this afternoon that I do want to talk about real quick. And it struck me as a little bit odd. To paraphrase, what she said was she doesn't agree with someone like Israel Adesanya fighting someone like Anderson Silva because she feels like it's a new fighter taking advantage of a legendary older fighter who's on his way out. Now, the ironic bit is that she said she doesn't agree with this fight, but she says it's a good fight, but she doesn't want to make a prediction about who's going to win. That's a little weird to me, don't you think? Look, I get it. She she thinks he's the gatekeeper. But for Adesanya, he's not the gatekeeper. Adesanya is ranked above Anderson Silva. Right now, Adesanya is the gatekeeper for Anderson Silva. He wants to he still wants to make a legitimate run at the title. Watch his watch any of his interviews that he does. Not to mention He's probably one of the nicest fucking guys out there. Yeah, he really, he really is. is. He, he's a family man, which is fantastic. But 
he wants to make a legitimate run at it again. That that's his one goal. If it means you have to go through the new hotness to get there, so be it. Don't get me wrong. I know Anderson right now is not the Anderson of old. Since since the leg incident, he has not been the same. He's had some good fights, though. He really has. Although he's had some fucking ones where I'm going, maybe you should call her quits. Right. But on the other side of that, he still got it. But for her to say something stupid like that, what the fuck are you going to do, Yana, when you get to that point in your career and you have to fight that young up-and-comer? It's right. going to be wrong. You're a legend in your own right already. That's you- what I was going to say. She's almost to that point with the career that she's had. Fight-wise, she's almost up there on par with the level of an Anderson Silva. So she I, I, almost is honest, in that same boat. I, I really think she is because she had the fucking longest tear in strawweight history and tore off some of the baddest bitches out there. Hell yeah. Shoot them up and spit them out. Is she the baddest female fighter right now? Fuck no. But um, and, uh, can't, even, can't even say it's fucking Rose. It's not Rose. It's Amanda fucking Nunes. Yeah. But that's besides the point. <laughs> I'm saying she's a legend in her own right for what she's done in the strawweight division as a champ, how she ran through women. And to make a statement like that, that's basically writing your own fucking death sentence later in your career because you're doing trying to do the same thing to somebody else. In this case, mind your fucking business, make a prediction. My prediction is Adesanya is going to run his ass ragged as much as I don't want to see that, because I love Anderson Silva, but I know what's going to happen. I'll make the call, and we'll talk about that later, because I'll give you some more insight. But nonetheless, <laughs> don't be a fucking retard. Don't say shit like that. We all know he's not who he used to be. That's not fucking... It's, that's a straight black and white matter there. There's no gray area at all. We know. But he still has the heart and will to fight. He's not one of those guys that's just fighting to get a paycheck at the end of his career. Right. He knows what he wants to do. So I'm just saying, don't fucking poke the lion because you'll get mauled. I agree. I agree profusely. And I think, I don't want to say I know that it is, but it sure as fuck seems like it is. From somebody who does a good bit of trolling themselves, it seems to me like Ioana is almost stirring the pot intentionally so that people are going to have to come back and ask her about her thoughts about this shit again next week after this weekend's fight is up. But, that aside, that'll bring us to the meat and potatoes of this particular episode here. This weekend's upcoming Melbourne event, UFC 234. Whitaker versus Gastelum. So we're going to start right at the very tip top of the fucking card. The first thing I want to talk about here real quick, the opening fight on the early prelims. Lando Groovy Venata versus Marcos Rosa Mariano. Now, Lando Venata is not in any stretch of the imagination a high-profile guy right now. He's not the worst, but he's not even quite to that middle-of-the-pack mentality status, as far as I can tell right now. 
He's not terrible, but he's had a rough go trying to get some steam behind him. Here he is this weekend opening the card against a nobody. It's another one of those situations where the guy he's fighting still has the you haven't unlocked this character profile picture on the fucking UFC website yet. So it's not like he's doing anything that's really going to jumpstart his fucking career, give him a fucking highlight reel thing. The thing that this fight to me says is that it's Lando Venata trying to get his feet squarely underneath him and build some fucking momentum. The problem is, is Venata, like a lot of the guys we've talked about the last couple episodes, just has a hard fucking time being consistent. He's hot one time, he's cold the next. He's a fucking killer one time, and the next time he comes in and he looks like he just woke up five minutes before they put his fucking gloves on him. So, do you think that this is going to be the fight that Venata needs to finally get some fucking momentum behind him? Or do you think that this one is going to be just another one of those where we're all sitting there with our fucking hands up in the air and our head sideways wondering what the fuck happened to the guy who's been talking shit for the last couple of weeks saying he's ready to fucking get at it? Look, I'll say it this way. Um, I don't see this as a steam-building fight. Look, no offense to Marcus Mariano, but when you still have the have-not-unlocked-player content on the web, UFC's website... Shit's not looking good for you right now. Now, go ahead and beat Lando Venata. Go have your picture on there one day, I'm sure. And you know what? Even if you lose, you might get your picture on there one day because you're still that young into the UFC. Shit happens. We understand the roster for the UFC is fucking massive. Way more massive than most of us realize because they've got a stable of a huge amount of fighters. So, of course, we're going to see quite a few of these who we haven't unlocked that character yet. Yeah. But for Lando, this is – I can't even talk about Marlos. This is strictly about Lando for this. It's not a steam-building fight. For him, I think this is getting his feet set again because, like you say, he's hot and cold. It's like flipping to the cold side of the pillow sometimes with him. You don't know what you're going to get or you're not going to know – uh, was he already in this hot spot or not? Right. For him, I think this is a fight where he needs to win and win decisively. Not to build steam, but to build his confidence and get his feet squarely planted under him so he can start to build steam. Because with the hot and cold that he's having there, if he fucking loses this fight for some odd reason, I really, in all actuality, I could see the UFC cutting him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm very much in that same boat. And that's, that's one of the things that I was actually just going to mention that it's not that I don't like Lando. I have nothing against him. I think he's a decent fighter. He's got a decent personality outside the octagon when you put a fucking camera on him. The problem is the dude's been so fucking inconsistent. Start, stop, start, stop, hot, cold, hot, cold. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I want to say that he takes this fight and he starts to get his steam underneath him. But with the track record that we've seen from Bonata lately, I and you know it's it's weird because this is only Mariano's tenth professional fight, but I think in this situation with the Venata that we've been seeing lately, at least, I can't help but feel like this might be Mariano's chance to get his name out there a little bit. And not that it's not that you know Venata is a big name to win, but being literally so fucking fresh of a fighter that you don't have a profile picture on the website yet against a guy who you know, isn't a world breaker, but people know who the fuck Lando Venata is. 
I think if Mariano can put this together, I, I think he's going to be able to take it. I think he's going to get his picture unlocked finally on the UFC website after this weekend. Cool. And only time is going to tell with that one. I mean, in his was the last fight 226, right? Yep. Yeah, he's been out for a minute. And he lost that fight uh, via decision. So I'm just saying that you got a you got a ways to go, dude. You need to get something to plant your fucking feet and get back where you want to be in a solid standing position. That's all I'm gonna say. Not a steam building position because it's not steam at this point. Right. It's a, yeah. The water's not even boiling yet. <laughs> yeah. You, you're starting with cold water here, dude. That's all I'm saying. You at least need to warm it up a little bit. I agree. So the next one I want to talk about here, the, uh, the following fight on the early prelims. This is another one of those situations where I was talking about earlier. I'm not really a fan of the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series because they, they're just not, for what they're trying to be, I don't feel like they're bringing up as much talent as they think they're going to be bringing. That being said, we still have guys like Johnny Walker who came out of there who still has got potential, albeit there's a fucking asterisk next to his name now. He's still got potential. But one of the other few people that I have seen come out of that series who legitimately has a great chance to make a fucking name for themselves is the gentleman that's fighting in this next fight here, Callan Porter versus Jylan Turner. Now, Jylan Turner relatively new to the whole MMA scene, but this kid is fast, this kid is smart, and he's got some potential. I feel like, even though this is another one of those situations where Porter still doesn't have the, or is it Porter or Potter? Potter, excuse me, Potter. Kelvin Potter, I apologize. <laughs> Potter still doesn't have that fucking profile picture on the UFC website. He's still one of those unlockable characters right now, but I believe this is Jalen Turner's first actual UFC fight outside of the contender series. And I feel like this could be a chance to get some spotlight on a guy from that Tuesday night series. Who's got the ability and the potential to be a rising star in the UFC. If he doesn't get the big show jitters, because this is going to be the biggest fight that Jalen Turner has ever had. Crowd-wise, there are more eyes going to be on him physically in person this weekend in Melbourne than he has ever had in any fight he's ever put together. So I think what it really comes down to for a, a potential point of view, for a potential win point of view, rather, is can Jalen Turner get out of his own head and block the spotlights of the fucking crowd and do what he did on the Tuesday Night Contender Series in front of the big audience so that people can see what he is capable of or is he going to do like we have seen so many other young fighters do, and that's get in the ring thinking that you're ready, and then you see all the flashes, and you hear Bruce Buffer announce your fucking name, and you see that wonderment just glaze over their fucking face, and it carries into the fight, and they just can't ever get back on the right foot, and they end up getting their ass handed to him in their debut, much like a, uh, oh, I don't know, a Max Holloway did with a Conor McGregor during his UFC debut the lights and the shine got to him and he talked about it. And then your opponent has that advantage because they're not worried about the crowd. They're just worried about punching you in the fucking face. So although I think Jalen is a young fighter here, I feel like the team that he's got around him should have hopefully 
prepped him enough. And I think this is going to be the time that we see Jalen Turner start to make a little bit of a <clears throat> I'm here kind of motion. I think Turner takes it, but I don't think it's going to be an easy thing. I think he's going to have a little bit of the shock and awe hit him. I think it's going to be a little bit of a back and forth, but I think Turner's going to be able to take this and hopefully put a positive light onto that Tuesday night contender series. I think you're right there to a point, but it'll come to one other thing that I also think here. One, the shock and awe of being in the UFC on the biggest stage there is possible. It's fucking there. So that can change the entire outlook of the fight right there on itself. However, there's one other thing that if you look um, up his stats at all, his average fight time is for, I think it's around three and a half minutes, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So if Potter can take him into deep water, how is he going to hold up? Because he's only been used to fighting in the first round. Very true. The, that would be the only other caveat I could see to that. Even if he's holding his own through the first round and round and a half, once you get late into the second round and deep into the third, is his cardio going to hold up because he hasn't really been there before? That would be the only other caveat I could see to that. But to be honest, um, just by watching the Tuesday night contender series with him on it, he has fantastic potential. Yeah. He's young. He's fucking so lightning quick. He's so bouncy, man. For a bigger looking guy, he's fucking bouncy. Yeah, and he's got a fucking pretty good reach on him too, if I remember correctly. I want to say it's like 76 or I think yeah, I think it's 76 inches. Yeah, it's he's, he's got a big old boss man. So he, and at that division, that's fucking a good solid solid length there. I'm just saying and for quicks he is he, he kind of because of his I maybe it's his body type that I that I see here, but it, not his fighting style, but his body type. He reminds me of a young John Jones with yeah. the with like the the way he, his limbs are because he's got yeah. those those long limbs where he can really put that to good use. Yeah, he is so, a long bouncy guy, and he's he's got pretty good reach usage. So yeah, I could definitely see that comparison. So I mean, from what I've seen of him, he could do fantastic fucking things. It's all gonna come down to. How do the lights hit him? How does Bruce Buffer go in? And then the blue corner. Yeah, right. when, once that happens, whatever you do, please do not fucking fist bump Bruce Buffer. You <laughs> signed your death warrant oh, when you do that so many oh, fucking times. Shit. But I, I really think he's going to end up taking this fight because the, the way he looked on that fucking Fender series, if he can put it all together just like he has been – and. To be honest, it probably won't go out of the first round if that's the case. If the lights don't get to him, it yeah. won't go out of the first round. I agree completely. That that kid, if he can keep his head on square, I think he can finish this in round one. And, and you know what? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say it now. Lando Venata, he's going to show you what getting ahead of steam looks like. I hope so. I really do. Because he – yeah, just watching his early stuff here, he he looks like the kind of fighter I want to watch. He's the kind of fighter I want to see in the UFC do well. Get up into there, even even if he's in that middle-of-the-road category where he's maybe hovering close to the 15 or spot or something like that for a little bit, 
till he really gets his feet under him. Right. I'm perfectly all right with that because he looks like he's just a couple of fights away from that switch just flipping on and going. I mean, you can already tell he's got a good fight IQ, but it's right. only going to get better. Yeah, absolutely. So there's really only one fight on the flyweight – or uh, flyweight, fucking brain scattered – on the <laughs> prelim card that I want to talk about. But I do want to take just a second here. Kia Kara France. He's been talked about quite a bit. He's been on cards. He's been off cards. They've put him back on this card on the prelim, and I'm happy to see that because that's another kid who's got a good potential – they just they haven't been able to figure out what the fuck they want to do with this poor kid yet. So I'm not even going to talk about his fight because he's fighting another one of those fucking still doesn't have a profile picture guys. But the fact that they managed to get him back on this card and give this kid a chance, I think that guy is another up-and-comer that people are going to want to keep their fucking eyes on. But the one fight that I do want to talk about on the prelims, speaking of bouncy, crazy motherfuckers, Teruto Ishihara. Holy fucking shit. This dude reminds me so much of an Asian Demetrius Johnson. It's not even fucking funny. Because the guy, he's in and he's out. You throw and he's gone. And when you're looking this way, he comes at you with a flying arm bar from that fucking way. He reminds me of almost like a, a, an Asian Rey Mysterio Jr., for lack of a better comparison. The guy is so fucking quick. He's so bouncy. He's got so many different acrobatic aerial type of moves he just really hasn't had a lot of ring time in the ufc and he's fighting a gentleman i know i'm gonna butcher this but i'm gonna try it anyway kang kyung ho the guy's 14 and 8 he's not a nobody he's not a slouch he's got some experience but ishihara has been out for a minute so my, my concern here is that while I love Ishihara, that dude is one of the most entertaining fucking fighters you will get a chance to watch. Is he back to where we want to see him? Or has he had a little, mu- little too much rather time off getting rusty on the sidelines because he has had a tendency to be a slow starter. And in Ishihara's fights, when he's the slow starter, more often than not, he loses because he just can't get that fucking momentum back. But he's coming into this one, and he's bouncing, and he's screaming, and he looks like the fucking Ishihara that everybody has been worried about when he's coming to a fucking ring. I don't want to put the fucking jinx on him, but from what I've seen and from what I hope, I think this is going to be Ishihara's chance to put his name back in that moving up the mountain category. I think he's going to take this win. I think it's going to be fucking spectacular. I'm hoping at least. And I think we're going to have a bounce fest for the end of the prelims going into the main event here. Yeah, I hope you're right. Because he, you're right. He does seem like a Demetrius Johnson. The way he's in all, bouncing all around. On the other side of that, though, ring – look, there's many people who just say this, but they say – I'm going to say it. Ring rust is real. I don't yeah. give a fuck who you are. Absolutely. I mean, even look at – I'll even say this, even Jones fighting Gustafson, you could still see the ring rust there. Yeah, there was definitely a little bit there. You could see it. He still looked good, but the ring rust is a real thing. I'm just saying it's a very strong possibility that it could affect him. However, 
Don't get me wrong. There are those naysayers say ring rust isn't real. If you're in the gym training, you don't get ring rust. You don't get ring rust from fucking training. You get ring rust from not fighting. Right, because well, like, like they say, the ring in your gym is not the same fucking ring that 35,000 people are sitting around. And while you might have practice it, in the ring, it's not the same ring. And it's, and it's not even that portion of it. There's not somebody that's actively trying to kill you in the ring. Right. It, you've got a guy that's sparring with you that might go, if they say 70%, go 80. Yeah, I get it. Those, those ones will happen, but it's not the same because there's not somebody coming out there with reckless abandon trying to injure you, put you to sleep, knock you out. It's a completely different beast. So it's all going to depend on how he managed the time off, I think, as well as um, how he starts. Because like you said, he's a slow starter. I think his average fight time is something like, it's like into the end of the second round, beginning of the third. Yeah. Usually. And bec- because of that, those are from his losses for those long those long fights like that, those are his losses where he started slow. So it's going to depend on how he starts and, to be honest, how his ring rust affected him. I agree. I hope, I hope he's got his shit together because Ishihara is a fucking entertaining fighter. If he can get his – if he's got his fucking I's dotted and his T's crossed, this is going to be a hell of a fight. And here's the other kicker to this. Look, you have two of – when it comes to fighters from – countries outside of the u.s you have two of my favorite countries fighting right now japan and south korea yeah both of them are known warriors they are gamers they will go and tell fucking they're unconscious sleeping or somebody has to be pulled off of somebody because that's their mentality there and i think it's going to end up I think it's going to end up being a barn burner is, to be the truth. I don't think we're going to know who's going to win this until it's fucking over. Right. Uh, as much as I would like to see a Shihara win, because to be honest, I like a bouncy samurai. Hell yeah. But um, I don't think that will... I don't foresee this being a lopsided victory one way or a lopsided loss one way. It's going to end up being a barn burner in my opinion. Which I'm okay with as well. <clears throat> So that moves us on to the main card. The thing that most of the people in the arena are only going to show up for. Because realistically, in big events like this, you, you're watching the crowd filter in through the earlies and the prelims. But everybody's in their fucking seat by the time the main card starts. And this is one of those that you're not going to want to be fucking waiting to get to your chair when it kicks off. We have the undefeated Aussie, Jimmy Crute who is on one hell of a tear and has got a fucking head full of steam behind him against a late last minute replacement of one smiling Sam Alvey. Now, I'm not going to say that Sam Alvey is trash, but he's not nearly as good as he thinks he is. I get it. Your whole persona is your smiling Sam. Nothing gets to you. You're always happy, but, uh, that mentality goes a lot further when you win your fights and you win them decisively. And Smiling Sam just is not a consistent finisher. The guy, to his credit, opens strong out of every fucking fight. But he's one of those guys that you can literally watch fade as the fight goes on. He has a great start. He just has no fucking gas tank. He's got no duration ability as a fighter. 
Now, on the other hand, if you watch some of Jimmy Crute's footage, that man doesn't tend to make it out of the first round a lot because he's the opposite. He's a Venus flytrap of a fighter, if you will. He's a slow starter. He'll let you come in. He'll let you put your work down, think that you're doing good, and then out of nowhere, pow-pow, big fucking overhand right that puts you to fucking sleep. The thing that I like the most about Jimmy Crute is that while he's known for having a fucking right hand that will send you into the next fucking ring, he's also got a great fight IQ. He's a very smart defensive fighter that helps him set up those big fucking shots. So in this situation here, the original fight would have been great, but I think with the last minute replacement of Smiling Sam, this actually, in my opinion, gives Crute a better chance to put on a display of what he is capable of because even though Smiling Sam's going to come out blazing from the get-go and fade out, the kid's got a fucking chin on him. The dude can take a fucking punch. He's taken some big fucking shots from some big guys. But he was also, in most of those situations, fighting guys that fought very similar to his style, where it wasn't the first round where they're taking the big shots. It's the middle of the second. It's the middle of the third round when everybody's starting to slow down and you're getting those desperation haymakers, if you will, getting thrown. And more often than not, that's when Smiling Sam gets his fucking grin clipped and knocked the fuck out. So this is a situation where I feel these styles, even though it was a last-minute substitution, I feel like these styles are going to match up for an interesting fight here because Smiling Sam's going to try and come out and he's going to try and put it on but Jimmy Crute's going to come out there and try and low, lull him into a sense of false security, almost uh, boa constrictor-like. He's going to let him think that he's okay, and then he's just going to come in and wrap the whole fucking fight up, and he's going to try and put it down. In my opinion here, Jimmy Crute leaves Saturday night with a zero in his loss column still intact. I think Smiling Sam gets, puts away, excuse me, gets put away late in the first, possibly early second round. You know, I think you're exactly right. And um, I don't know if you've caught any of the um, the little vlog videos that they've been putting out here lately, but I think I know what Sam Alvey's biggest problem is. Himself? No. <laughs> it's not. Um, this is where I think his biggest problem is. And I don't have a problem with this at all, not by any means, because I feel the same way when it comes to this type of thing. His family. He even said it. I bring all of my kids to every one of my fights, except for this time because it's too long of a plane ride for a couple of them. Right. I get it. But I get it. You're a family guy. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But at the same time, you're a professional fighter. You fight in the biggest stage in the world. You were on the main card of a UFC event. This should have been the one time where he said, babe, we need to leave all the kids. Right. I need to focus on this. I know I'm short-term replacement, but I need to focus on this last-minute fucking shit. Uh, don't get me wrong. Hats off to you for taking a fight on short notice. Right. Absolutely. Props for that. Dude, props. And you're a fantastic starter. But you're a poor fucking finisher. Well, you get finished, but not the way you want to finish. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying. He has a lot of potential, but I think a lot of it from just from what I've noticed, he doesn't need to be able to separate work and family. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of fighters out there that are family men. And 
that's perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But those guys that are still family men, they keep their training and their family away. I don't see him doing that because if you're bringing your kids to every fight, you're not separating them enough. They shouldn't be at every fight. I just don't see that being the right thing to do. Once in a while, sure, yeah, you need a little vacation. Come on, kids, let's go. Right, right. But don't do it every fight because your head's not in the right place when that's there. Don't get me wrong. You can have your head in the right place and still have your kids there, but you have to have them away from you. So there that has to be way, a disconnect. It's not that there has to be a disconnect between the two. Well, at least for the for fight for the fight night for the 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 important part. Well, no, it, even even that, I don't see there needing to be a disconnect. What I, there where there needs to be the disconnection at is the training aspect of it. You have to realize that you're fighting the toughest people in the world. They do not get into the UFC not being the toughest. Even if you are that lowly guy who is an unlockable character, <laughs> you are still on the biggest fight stage. Not because you're a bum. Right. There's nobody on the UFC roster that's a bum. I'll say that. Some of them, not fun to watch, but they're not a bum because they've made it to the biggest stage in the world. Right. And they haven't gotten there for no fucking reason. Sam, your character's unlocked. You need to focus, dude. That's all I'm saying. Jimmy Crute's going to walk away with no loss. The and Don't get me wrong. Sam Alvey's still got a puncher's chance because right. everybody does. Right. You, you could possibly find the button. But like you said earlier, Jimmy Crute, his fucking defense is on point. He's moving up the ranks, and he's going to steadily do so. He's going to be a, he's going to be that contender where he's be ranked soon. In fact, right. If he puts Sam away in devastating fashion, that could be as early as fucking next week. That's what I was just getting ready to say. This could be the fight that gets him a fucking number put behind his well, name, too. Don't get me wrong. Sam Alvey's no slouch. But I just don't think he puts in uh, – he, he doesn't separate his work from play and family enough. I, I, I get it. You want to be a family man. You, right. I, I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. I love my – on the death. If I was fighting, I would gladly bring him with. Would I bring him with every time? No. Because I don't take my kid to work every day. Right. Well, I can't. To focus and be professional and be proficient in what I do, I can't have that in my ear. It's like if you it's like being fucking even an animal owner. You don't take your animals to work with you. Right. It's just you've got to find that separation of it's like the separation of church and state, same fucking concept. Keep them separate. I know you want to have the connection there. The kids need to have the connection with their dad. I get it. I'm a hundred percent behind that, but man, please do me a favor. Do a little bit better job of separating them. When I see um, them doing vlog with you and you're taking your kid into the gym in fucking Australia, that should be a point where you go, honey, you need to take the kid, go do something for the day or right. for these couple hours while I'm training. I don't need him in here messing with what I'm doing. I need to focus on the fight at hand. Right. Cause this isn't a situation where you've got Holloway doing open workouts and mini bless on the sidelines dancing and all the fucking reporters losing their mind. Cause he's so fucking adorable. This ain't that. No. Cause you're not at that level. Right. And also Holloway, separates those fucking two. Yes, he does. He the kid's got it every fight. 
and he did that because it was open workouts, and open workouts don't mean shit. That's right. That's just where there for you to show off in front of the cameras. So, well, and, and to your point as well, Smile and Sam, I don't know how many people know this or not. Smile and Sam's, it's not his head coach position, but he calls it the main corner man position, is his fucking wife, who is not a fighter, who is not a coach, who has no fucking reputation or established fight dominance or fight expertise to warrant being in that position. She's just Sam's wife. Now, I'm not saying she doesn't have any fight experience. I'm not saying she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. But that's not the same as having a fucking Matt Hume in your fucking corner. You're, you're keeping, exactly like you said, you're keeping your family too close to your fight game, too close to your job here, I think. Yep, the same concept. Look at it. Let's go this route with it. Look at a fucking truck driver. There's a lot of truck drivers. We both have a really good friend who is a truck driver, has a beautiful family, daughter, wife, the whole nine yards. But he's got the two separated. Yep, he doesn't get in the truck. Put them in the truck. He goes, does his job. He comes home when it's his time to come home. And that's right. That's what he does. Same concept there. It doesn't matter what you're in. That's all I'm saying. Just learn to separate the two a little bit better. I think you'll be a better fighter for it. And you know what? Maybe after you take this loss to Jimmy Crute and you've finally separated those, you'll get a rematch with him to try to avenge that loss. Very true. That's a definite possibility. Also, shout out to DTF. Yes, shout out to DTF. <laughs> so, moving right along, the next fight on the main card here, this is going to be an interesting one, in, in my opinion here. This is two ladies that we have talked about independently a couple different times over the last couple months because they have both put themselves on a fast track to being a somebody in the women's MMA world. And I'm talking about Montana De La Rosa versus Nadia Kassim. Now, the only bad thing I can say about either one of these ladies is that they don't have a lot of UFC ring time yet. That being said, whenever we have seen Montana De La Rosa step in the ring, we have seen fireworks. And the same exact thing can be said for Nadia Kasim. As soon as we see her in the octagon, shit goes crazy. Both of these gals are young, they're hungry, they're both smart, and they're both very versatile fighters. The only thing, in my opinion, that leans this fight even the slightest bit in one way or the other here is Montana De La Rosa's jiu-jitsu. Both her and her husband are fucking great Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners. And I'm not trying to take away from Nadia Kasim at all. She's a great fucking fighter, and I enjoy the shit out of watching her fights as well. But I feel like in this particular matchup of two younger ladies, both on the come up, both with good heads on them, both with, you know, a lot of steam behind them. The momentum train is rolling for both of these ladies. I feel like in this situation, Montana De La Rosa is just a little bit more of a well-rounded fighter as a whole. She's got more of a total package, whereas Nadia doesn't quite have that same full picture. She's still got a good fight IQ. She's quick. She's got a good reach usage. but I don't think she's got quite enough to take the trouble that Montana is going to throw at her. I feel like this is going to be a fireworks fight. It's going to be exciting as shit, but I feel like Montana De La Rosa is going to come away with the W here so she can rub it in her husband's face like she did the last time that they fought a week apart from each other. 
Oh, uh, I like how you, you put that little jab in there. That's fantastic. <laughs> no, you're right. Both of them, both of them have a fucking potential fast track to the fucking top right now. Uh, fucking De La Rosa has been on a fucking tear every time she steps in. So is Nadia Kasim. She's still got a zero in that loss column, which when I look at that right there, um, the zeros in the loss column, that always, when I look at a fighter with a zero in the loss column, especially as a pro, that makes me have this one little thing where they have that, It's I'll, I can't call it a chip on their shoulder, but they have that um, I need to defend my um, perfect record thing going on, where it's an extra piece of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? an extra piece of stress that I don't think they need. Uh, do I think that's going to affect her at all? No, because she's still young in her career. If I'm not mistaken, she's 5-0 and right now, if I remember correctly. So she's still really young into it where she's probably not thinking about it. Not like, um, let's say, for example, T-City. T-City had a, a wee bit more on the um, win, wins column, but that, that zero in the loss column, I think sometimes that can cause some unneeded stress to the fighter, thinking I need to defend my perfect record and outside of that I really think that big the big difference here is going to be the ground because they're going to end up on the ground in this fight yeah it's, oh yeah it's the jujitsu that's going to make the biggest difference and I unfortunately Nadia you don't have the same jujitsu pedigree as Montana does I'm going to say it right there I think it'll come down to that However, it could go um, either way there. So um, I, I, I'm still going to give the nod to Montana on this one. Although, who knows? Nadia might walk out there still with a perfect record, and she might take that big jump up the ladder because, I mean, right now she's unranked. Yep. And Montana's got that 14 spot. You beat the 14 does. spot, you're going to be on the fucking rankings list next week. Guaranteed. I agree. I agree. Do I now? Do I think that would cause uh, Montana to fall off there? No, but I, I have a feeling it would cause her to drop back to fifteen yeah. at the last of the rankings. However, I don't think it would fall off, especially not in that division. Right, uh, right. The some of the other um, ladies in the women's flyweight are not to that level of her, so yep. I don't think it would cause her to fall off. But I would definitely pop Nadia up there if she does win. But I don't see Nadia winning. She's going to end up with her first professional loss, I think. But what I'm excited to find out is how does she bounce back from that? What does she learn from that? How does she move forward? Because yep. she's already a fantastic fighter as is. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, she is. Uh, but I, this is one of those things where I'm going, I really wish the UFC would not sign fighters without a loss. Yeah, I and, agree. Or at least, at least further along in their career without a loss, like a twenty-six and zero fighter who's been wrestle fucking his way through the rankings. That you almost have to give that guy a shot because the dude is won more than enough fights to show that at least in wrestle fuck area he deserved a shot at some of the top brass. But she's not quite there yet, so I, I agree. In this situation, I would definitely advocate the same as you here. Let her get a couple more fights under her belt, whether she goes to ten and zero or she comes six and one. Just she's still a little green. And that's it. That's like um, don't get me wrong. You gave they gave T City a shot early, but he also proved his prowess. 
He, yeah, he earned his way up that up that ladder early too. Yeah, and he did it in dominant fashion. Or not yet. You won your fights, but they've not been as dominant as I think they could have been. Where you really get that, yeah, oh my god, prowess. I agree. Well, it's. I think it, it's not going to be a toss-up fight. I don't think. I think Montana walks out with this one. Yeah, uh, purely I, I on agree. the purely on the BJJ aspect. I think she's going to end up submitting her. I I would love to see it, especially coming off of another submission victory last time to follow it up with another submission victory this time. I think that'd be a great fucking definite ego booster, uh, rightfully so. Oh, not to mention it. She finishes her with an, another submission. That's a huge bump up the rankings because finishing opponents, hey, to get you bumped up. And Bing is, even though she's she's just outside of the rankings right now, Nadia is. She's just yeah. outside. So. That still could give Montana a big boost up wise. I agree. I agree profusely. So, the next fight on the card here, uh, it's on the main card, so it, it deserves a mention. I'll give him that much credit. But it's it's a it's a fucking head scratcher for me. It is, and this is another one where I'm gonna butcher it, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Ronnie Yaya. Versus Ricky Simon. Who? Um, I just want to say you did pronounce Simon correctly. Well done. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping I got part of that right. But who the fuck are these two nobodies fighting in the middle of four other potentially division impacting or at least career affecting notable, noteworthy name fights? They've got two dudes who nobody fucking knows, who have no fucking rank worth talking about, who aren't going to shake up their fucking division with a win or a loss either way, fighting in the middle of the first big-numbered card of 2019. I, I don't understand that. And it's not like either one of them are brand new. Yaya is 26-9 and nine with a no contest. Simon's 14-1. and one. Both of these gentlemen have been in the cage more than a couple of fucking times, and neither one of them has a reputation or a name that brings to mind anything recallable, really. I feel like this is one of those filler fights that they could have put on the fucking early prelims and put fucking Lando Venata as the opening card on the fucking main fight. He had a fucking uh, a last-minute substitution for the main card, or the, the first fight on the main card with Jimmy Crute and Sam Alvey anyway. Why keep a fucking nobody fight in the middle of this fucking card when there's other fights on the earlier cards for this event that could have taken this place and made it a, a more well-rounded card, in my opinion? Well, and here's the question is, why is the light heavyweight bout um, before all of these? Right? Shouldn't that um, bantamweight fight be before that? Yeah, right. you would think, since most cards, as far as what Dana says anyway, is that the order of a main card goes by the weight class. Yeah, and they've got it fucking backwards here. Yeah, they got the heavy guys opening the fucking thing, and then the 185ers closing the shit out. And I'm just saying, you know what would have been a better fight on the main card? Anything? Japan versus South Korea. Absolutely. That Actually, that Ishihara fight would have made, and I tell you what, maybe not a better fight than Crute versus Alvi, but I think maybe a more exciting fight to open the main card with than Crute versus Alvi. Bump well, them I mean, down to second fight. Let Ishihara open that shit up with fireworks. Well, yeah. 
put Kuten Alvi as the second fight on the main card. Yeah. Get rid of this Yaya and Simon. Put them on the fucking prelims on ESPN. And, and I would be all right with that. Because, to be honest, don't get me wrong. Okay. Ronnie, you're ranked 15. You're 15 in the bantamweight division. Right. There's a lot of fucking heavy hitters above you. A lot. 14 to be exact. Yeah, 14 <laughs> to be exact. Well, technically, if you want to get well, technical, you're 15. I was going to say, 15 counting the belt holder, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying, and then Ray Simon, don't get me wrong, he's 14 and 1. He obviously deserves a shot, but I don't think the main card is the spot for him. Because if you look at his record, there's no notables on there at all. Or anybody that you've seen even climb into the rankings that he's beaten. Exactly. And that's that's really, that's my only problem with this fight. I'm not saying that this fight doesn't need to be made. I'm not saying that this fight doesn't deserve to be on a pay-per-view event. What I'm saying is, is that this fight doesn't deserve to be on the fucking main card. Yep. And that's all I'm going to say about that fight. Because it really doesn't. It's, it, it's kind of, it's one of those, oh, fuck, we need to have another fight. Right. Bam. Oh, there you go. Bob's your fucking uncle. That, that's all I can call that. I agree. And, and, and to that point, I'm not even going to pick a winner here because this fight, honestly, not to be disrespectful to both fighters, because like you said, there's no bums in the fucking UFC. If you're there, you earned your way there. But this fight is so fucking insignificant, I'm not going to pick a winner here because realistically, it doesn't fucking matter which one of these gentlemen win. No, because it's not going to shake things up one way or another. I mean, the only thing she might shake up for Ricky Simon is if he wins, he might be ranked 15th. Right. At best, it's going to put a guy at 15th place. At best. And that's being optimistic here because we both know how the MMA rankings go. Sometimes a win doesn't mean a damn thing as far as they're concerned. Nope. And, yep. And yeah, I might lose. Still be ranked 15th. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that shit show aside, that's going to bring us to the co-main event here. Now, the thing that I will say about this card, whether they put it together this way on purpose or whether dumb luck happened to let it fall into place this way, this is a great fucking representation of how to put together a main and a co-main event. These are four gentlemen in the 185-pound division that are at the top of the fucking stack. Granted, I don't necessarily agree with the matchup in the main event, but I can understand where it's coming from. This fight, on the other hand, the fucking co-main event, has me legitimately more excited than the main event does. And it's not just because of the potential outcome, because both of the gentlemen in this fight have been told by Dana that the win Saturday night gets them the next title shot at 185, regardless of who holds the belt after Saturday night. That is huge implication-wise for this division. But the thing that really makes this fucking fight, in my opinion, is who the fuck it is. This is Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya, versus Anderson, the spider, Silva. This is what many, many much more reputable people than myself have been calling the old guard versus the new guard in the most literal sense of the phrase. Israel Adesanya, who, to his credit, makes a point to tell people he is not the new Anderson Silva. He is the current Israel Adesanya. 
I like that. I like that a lot because I have been so fucking vocal on and off camera about Israel Adesanya's career since there was even rumors that he was going to get picked up by the UFC. Because if you go back and watch this kid's fights, he's like the Floyd Mayweather of MMA. He steps out. You can't fucking touch him. And then when he comes in to go on the attack, he's in the fucking matrix. This dude sees angles that you don't see until it's too late. He moves in ways that you've never fucking seen before. And he is very, very reminiscent of and in his prime Anderson Silva. Just the way that he moves, the way that his unconventional striking is so fucking effective. And then on the other side of the octagon, you have the man himself. Anderson fucking Silva, who, if you've watched the embedded vlogs, is in great fucking shape, but he's in great shape because he's had 18 months off due to a fucking steroid suspension. The last time we saw the spider in the octagon, granted he didn't look terrible, but it turns out it was because he was on the fucking juice, and he got caught, he admitted it, and he served his time. Now, I'm not one to say you shouldn't get a chance at redemption from a situation where you were in the wrong and you owned up to it. But on the other side of that, this is one of those things that we were talking about where how much are your steroid use going to impact your overall ability? Because the fact is, he wasn't suspended for being a bad fighter. He was suspended because he was on fucking steroids. Now, I will give this caveat. The man is 43, getting ready to turn 44 years old. So he is not the spring chicken that he was when he held that belt for so fucking long and did it so fucking dominantly. He realistically has some of the greatest UFC highlight reel finishes of all fucking time. No one can ever put a fucking candle next to Anderson Silva's level as far as finishes go in his career. The problem is between being 43 years old, coming back off of a steroid suspension, which shows that you thought, at least to some degree, you needed a little something to help you keep competing, and then you put that up against an up-and-comer like Israel Adesanya, who is so fucking dynamic, has such a great fight IQ, has such an, a fucking fight school level of example like you would use him as an example in a fight school situation to talk about perfect use of reach both in throwing and in dodging and watching this motherfucker just get punches and kicks flung in front of his face without touching him so fucking often my big thing that i feel is going to play the determining factor in this fight is going to be does anderson come in and try and be the Anderson of old, which everyone wants to see? Or does he come in and does he show Israel Adesanya the respect that he deserves? Because Adesanya deserves any fighter's fucking respect at this point. Because Anderson said uh, Tuesday, I believe it was, when they were doing the early uh, non-official press circuit, that if he comes in and he loses to Adesanya, He's going to lay his gloves down in the middle of the octagon, and he's going to call it a great career with no regrets. But on the other side of that, both Israel and Anderson have both been promised that a win Saturday night puts you in title contention for whoever wins the main event. So are we looking at a situation where Anderson's going to come in, respect the fact that he's fighting a guy that's potentially on the same plane as him going for a fucking title shot, 
Or do we get that Anderson that we saw against Weidman that comes in and he wants to be goofy, he wants to show people he can still fuck around, he can still play, and he's going to get, as he put it, Israel Adesanya by Israel Adesanya. As much as I love the spider, I have a feeling that this is going to be the night that he's going to come in, he's going to get too cocky, he's going to be too playful, and Adesanya is going to put him the fuck down, and we're going to see Anderson set his gloves in the middle of the octagon and call it an end of a spider career. I'm going to have to, um, to a point, I agree with you, but on the other side of this, there is a point where I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, and there's the reason behind that. Anderson wants the belt. I don't foresee him going in there, acting all crazy, Chris Weidman, fucking hands down at his sides, doing this shit in front of me, putting his chin out there to get touched. No. He knows because he's been beaten a couple times since then, too. That he's got to put in the work. He's got to focus. He can't be that same person. Now, the other side of this that Israel Adesanya, guess what? You are Israel Adesanya. However, you are Anderson Silva as well. Uh, and And I'll say, I know you don't like to hear it. It is what it is. But you know what? There's some really, really strong video evidence that shows a lot of the movements are exactly the same. A lot of the angles that you find are the same. Mm -hmm. A lot of the way you're dodging and moving and... The unconventional nature. Yeah, the unconventional nature, the fight IQ. Here's the kicker with this. You both can do both of those things. You know what to look for because you do those things. So what I think is this fight is going to come down to is can the old guard keep pace with the young buck? Yeah. Because with um, Israel Adesanya, he can keep a hell of a pace. Can Anderson do so? And here's the other kicker. Anderson is not as quick as he used to be. You can tell there is a step loss. However, with step losses, there comes a lot more fight IQ with that because you have to have higher fight IQ in order to continue to compete at a high level when you don't have the same speed. And that's just a given. He's always had a fantastic fight IQ, which is why he was able to clown in so many fights and win them decisively. Here's my my favorite prime example when it comes to him doing something that nobody else did for such a long time. That front kick up the middle. He was the man who ran the show with that front kick up the middle. However, watch out Asanya. That's in his repertoire. You know why? Because he learned it from Anderson Silva, whether he says it or not. How many people did that work on? I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, he KO'd Machida with that same front kick up the middle. Yeah, he got Vitor. Vitor was the highlight reel, and then Machida was the big, oh, shit, where he did it again, and people should have known that it was coming. Yep, and so both of them know that could be that kick, and it's still there, and it's still going to hurt like a motherfucker if he Fuck catches yeah. it. Fuck yes, so, it will. For me... I'm, I don't want to pick a winner for this fight. I'm going to, but I don't want to. Um, it's going to come down for Anderson, for him to win. He needs to be 
like you said, respectful on his game and be able to still move and see those angles coming that he knows are coming because he throws them. For Adesanya, he's just got to be Adesanya. That's yeah. it. And he'll win the fight. I, I agree don't with me I, I don't agree with the odds that they have it listed at right now. That Well, to be fair, Vegas odd makers generally aren't really fight fans. Vegas odd makers, to their credit, are generally more interested in who the fans react to versus who is more likely to win no, from a it, fighter's point of view. Exactly right. However, from looking at this from somebody who is an avid fight fan, I, I think those are poor odds. I don't I think agree. they should be that far spread apart. I agree. I, it, it, this fight could still be a toss-up. Fuck yeah, it could. It's still I, Anderson fucking Silva, man. Yeah, he's still got magic. We may not have seen all of it all yet, and especially knowing there's that – possibility that he gets to fight for the title again yep that is up for him that right now that is probably the biggest driving force that he has ever had in his fucking career because after being so dominant for so many years solidifying his legacy is arguably the goat oh yeah oh yeah there's this right now to get it back and possibly you know win it and then retire right Right. Fuck yeah, no shit. That that to be honest, that would be the on, the greatest mic drop ever. Yeah. I would love to see that happen. However, Israel Adesanya has put in a lot of work, and he he's due. And you know what? If he wins this fight, gets title shot, he will be the next champion. Mark my words. If he wins, that kid. And it's funny because even as much as he has already shown. People still, for whatever fucking reason, doubt Adesanya. If you go back and watch any of that guy's fucking footage on any of his old fights, that dude is a motherfucker of motherfuckers, man. He's smart, he's quick, and he's got a fucking brilliant fight IQ. I think it's going to be a hard fight for Anderson, but I I think Israel still takes it. I'm right there with you. Israel takes it. However... I wouldn't be surprised if Anderson won either, though. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, absolutely. And I, and I will put that asterisk up there. I absolutely have 99.9% faith that Israel takes this. But the other 0.1% is that it's still fucking Anderson Silva. And it's not that I'm rooting against Anderson. I just feel that with the mileage that he's got, the age that he has reached, and the fucking wars that he has been in already – I think that Adesanya just has enough of an edge that he's going to take it. It's not that I feel he's going to blow him out of the fucking water by any stretch of the imagination. The spider is always fucking dangerous. Uh, I, you know what? I, I would like to see, um, which would be kind of fucking epic, I would like to see maybe a little nod to Rio Chonin and have Israel Adesanya catch him in a flying knee bar. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be the worst. It that, wouldn't be the worst. I'm, I'm just saying that would be kind of cool to see. <laughs> I mean, Anderson would be pissed if it happened twice in his career, but right. You know, I'm just I'm just saying it's a, that possibility. Of little crazy things happening. However, I'm not gonna lie. If Anderson wins, I'll be fucking stoked. I'm gonna stoked either way. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Where I don't know who to root for. I just I'm rooting for a good fight on this one because I love both of these fighters. I've always been a fan of Spider. 
even though he did showboat a lot during a lot of fights. But you know what? At the time, nobody could fucking touch him. I was going to say, to his credit, when it worked, it fucking worked until it didn't. I think the the probably my favorite fight of all time was watching him fight Forrest Griffin. Yeah, that was great. Because Forrest Griffin was fucking, he was on a tear at that point. And when he came in there to fight Forrest, he made Forrest look so bad. Right. And Forrest was no fucking slouch. Yeah, was Forrest wasn't nothing to shake a stick at. Yeah, he was a champ for a reason. That's all I'm saying. Fuck like, yeah. I'm, I just, I really wish, I wish this fight would have been Anderson in his prime and Adesanya right now. Cause th- yeah. That, that would have been probably, this could have been possibly the greatest fight of all time if that had been the case. But it's not, unfortunately. I mean, we are seeing an aging Anderson. Yep. My hat's off Spider and the Style Bender. Um, and shout out to the guys that did the mural there in Australia. Oh, yeah. I, was, I showed my wife that, was, that yesterday. That's such fucking beautiful artwork, man. No matter the outcome of this fight, that fucking mural that they put together was fucking glorious and anybody who doesn't know it i'm going to try and get a picture of it to throw in here real quick for the viewers that are going to see the, the finalized version of this this weekend Good Lord, that's such a fucking beautiful piece of artwork. It was, and what a way to immortalize both of them. Fuck it was, yeah. It was fucking, it was awesome. I mean, and just to see him fucking posing for pictures with it and shit, I was like, yeah, that's, that's fucking sweet. Although, to be fair, if you saw the embedded vlog, the artist who made that mural got stood up for six hours by Anderson, who just <laughs> kept playing the phone tag game with him, whereas... He told Israel, I want to take your picture with this. And Israel went to the fucking wall and took his fucking picture and spent so much time hanging out with the artist that the artist was texting him the rest of the day to let him know how long Anderson kept fucking putting him off and making him stand by a goddamn wall and wait. Yeah. But what I will say, the, the last thing that I do want to say about this fight from my side here is that the only good that I can say that may come out of, God forbid, Anderson getting beat and putting his gloves down is that, and I learned this from the embedded vlog as well, is that Anderson Silva's oldest son is 23 now and is an MMA fighter with fucking prospect himself. They showed some training. They showed some rounds. They showed some work. Anderson Silva's kid is not the spider yet, but boy, if that kid doesn't have fucking potential and the greatest fucking people around him that you could ask for, for an up and comer, that could be an interesting potential future fight as well. Not to mention, you got one of the greatest teachers of all fucking time. That you know what? That kid had. That kid is living. He's living every little boy's dream. Fuck yes. Dad is the dad you want to be able to look up to. Say yeah, that's my dad, and he's teaching him at the same time. He's the he's the epitome of uh, what, as far as the family side of this is concerned. Right, the kind of fucking father you want to be. Sam Alvey, take note. He also separates right. his children from the fights. Well, and, and Anderson's kid said he was talking to the embedded crew a little bit about it while they were watching him train, and he said, you know, I understand that I'm going to have a rough road ahead of me, but at the same time, 
my dad is Anderson Silva. If ever there was a genetic lineage that predisposed you to being a potential bad motherfucker in an octagon, that's a fucking lineage that's going to have a serious contention behind it. Because, I mean, the only real comparable other lineage in the fighting world that you could talk about in this sense of the generational pass down was going to be one, the Gracies, because now you've got fucking Neiman fighting. So there's still a Gracie ever since UFC won. There's still Gracies to this day now that we're at 234 fighting in the MMA world, which I think is fucking spectacular. But the only other one that there really is to mention about lineage-wise, and it isn't nearly as prestigious, is Kimbo and now Kevin Ferguson Jr. Baby Slice fighting in Bellator, which, to his credit, Baby Slice is a lot better than his dad was in the MMA world. But lineage man lineage is starting to become the new thing and to be a silva son with on the come up now oh boy that's a lot of name to live up to you know that makes me wonder with these lineages are they going to start trying to breed like um they do dog lineages for show dogs <laughs> i mean that's definitely a potential there are more than enough folks for more than enough places that are close enough I'm just saying, like, like, a, like <laughs> something strange, like a Holly Holm Anderson Silva baby would be crazy. Okay, gotta get out of that fucking crazy idea. <laughs> I was gonna oh, say, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, with, with that nonsense set aside, this brings us to the main event of the evening. The 185-pound men's belt is on the line. This is the culmination of the latest and potentially last, from what they've been saying, season of The Ultimate Fighter. This is Robert the Reaper Whitaker versus Kelvin, whatever the fuck his nickname is, Gastelum. Now... <laughs> I'll put it out here right up front. I am 100% team Bobby Knuckles. I think Whitaker is possibly one of the best 185ers to ever step into the fucking division. And I'm so happy to see him at 185 and not still struggling down at 170 where he did in his early career. But that being said, this is not an easy fight for him. And Gastelum is another one of those, and I am not a fan. I am not a fan of his fucking fight style, and I'm definitely not a fan of his out-of-the-fucking-ring antics and the shit that falls out of his fucking mouth when you put a microphone in front of him. But, to be fair, he has Rafael Cordero in his fucking corner, and he is a 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Those are two things that you cannot overlook when you talk about a potential fight. And on top of that, we are talking about the fight for the fucking belt. Now, Whitaker is a bad motherfucker. That boy is not just a fighter. He is an all-around true martial artist, in my opinion. That, I feel, automatically gives him a notable advantage over Gastelum. That being said, Gastelum has notable wrestling prowess. And like I mentioned... He's a 10th planet black belt in BJJ. So there is nothing to sneeze at as far as Gastelum's concerned. But if you watch his fighting style, especially as horrible as a fucking example as it is, I'm going to use it anyway. His last fight against a person who should never have been in the octagon, Michael Bisping. Yes, he knocked Bisping out. But that 
was a perfect example of what not to do as a fighter. Bisping was clearly still not ready to fight yet. He got in there way too early off of a previous fight where he took a lot of fucking damage and he was still very susceptible and Gastelum, to his credit, capitalized on it and put him to sleep. So we know that Gastelum has knockout power, even if it's on a guy with a, com- with a compromised chin. He still has the knockout power, so he's got a puncher's chance. He's got a BJJ from 10th Planet, and anyone who knows anything knows that Eddie Bravo's system is not for the fucking weak. That rubber guard style, that quick move, that adaptability, that 10th Planet BJJ black belt means something. But Whitaker is no fucking slouch. Whitaker has got the wrestling prowess to take on an Olympic wrestler like Yoel Romero and stuff his fucking takedowns. He's got to chin to take shots from the biggest and the best and keep walking through it. And he also has a fucking black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu because he's got his own fucking school in Australia where he teaches. So if you're looking at style versus style, ability versus ability, they're very, very similar. And the thing that I, in my opinion here, is going to make the difference in this fight is the mental aspect of it. I feel like in a lot of fights, that's underappreciated as far as looking at the fight objectively. And if you look at these two gentlemen, you look at Kelvin Gastelum, who still has that I'm young, I'm untouchable. He's got that fucking egotistical swagger about him. He's talked a lot of shit about Robert Whitaker. He's mentioned several times how he feels that this is going to be an easy fight for him. That, I think, is one of the stupidest fucking things that you can do, not only as a fighter, but particularly as a fighter in this fucking situation. You are going against a man who is a dominant champion, who won his last fight with a broken arm and a broken leg against an Olympic wrestler. This man doesn't understand the word quit. He doesn't know what loss is because he won't let himself lose. And you're going to come in and be so cocky as to think that you're getting an easy fight against him? My money, 100% unequivocally, Team Bobby Knuckles. I am fucking pro-Whitaker, anti-Gastelum in this fight. You know, you make a lot of good points there. Go ahead and say that right now. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll say this. When it comes to the jiu-jitsu, I have to give the nod. Not to fucking Whitaker, but to Gaston. That 10th Planet jiu-jitsu is on a completely different level. Between them and Gracie jiu-jitsu, I never know if in a street fight which one's going to work better. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Whitaker had you like I said he's got his own gym for jujitsu. He is a black belt, but it's not that same level. Tenth Planet Jujitsu is on another fucking level. I I know this. When I lived in Southern California, I trained at the Gracie Academy. And then also I went and I checked out Tenth Planet because it was right down the road. Those two places, they are on a completely different level than any other jiu-jitsu gyms out there. I don't care who it is. Don't get me There's so many fantastic jiu-jitsu practitioners out there that teach and have given away a lot of black belts over the years. Still, the amount of black belts in jiu-jitsu is a very, very small number. And for good reason. Right. That discipline is very hard to master. 
So you look at the amount of people who have done jujitsu versus the amount of actual black belts there are out there. It's a very small fraction. Yep. And for good reason, you have to know your shit. You and gotta to earn get, it. To get a black belt from fucking Tenth Planet, dude, put in some fucking work. That's yeah. all I'm saying. He put in a lot of time and effort, and yep. a lot of fucking days, and God knows how many countless hours in the gym training. But here, here's where the biggest difference for me is. I think the biggest difference is going to be the striking. Robert Whitaker striking versus Kelvin Gastelum striking, two totally different levels. Whitaker striking is so much better than Gastelum. Yes, Gastelum has the knockout potential because he does have the power. He's built for it. Look at right. him. He looks like a fucking upside down triangle. Yeah, he's a fucking ice cream cone. That's for damn sure. Yeah, he is. It, yeah, ice cream cone. I like that. Never used that one before. I'm going to have to <laughs> add that to the repertoire. But yeah, he's a fucking upside down triangle. Wondering how the fuck did they get that pyramid upside down? We don't know. But there it is. The striking is just a whole different level, and I think it's going to come down to the striking because I don't think that um, if Gaslam takes a couple of shots from Whitaker and it ends up on the ground in a BJJ match, I don't think he's going to have enough wit left with him from the strikes that Whitaker will put on him in order to be able to properly use the rubber guard and actively be working for a submission or to better his position because – He'll be too rattled from those shots. And not to mention, the ground and pound game that Whitaker has, them bows. He's throwing bows. That's, that's, and that's one, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest differences because realistically, stylistically, these two are very similar. But one of the main, and I was just talking about this with another buddy of mine yesterday, one of the main differences that I see personally between the two of them is exactly what you're talking about. It's the fucking ground and pound, and that makes a big difference because we've seen in the past when Gasoline gets you to the ground, he will jump right on top of you, and he will swing fucking hammers from the top. The difference is, and we saw this in both the fucking Romero fights, when Whitaker gets you to the ground, he's not trying to punch you in the face. He's coming down with all his fucking weight with short elbows to crush your fucking skull and to split your fucking face open and rattle your fucking brain, to throw your logic, to throw your game plan out the fucking window. And we've seen it in so many fights. You can take a shot on the ground and recover and come back. But when you catch a well-placed, heavy, short elbow to the fucking head, it not only fucks your face up, it discombobulates your fucking thought process and it throws your whole game plan out the window, if only for a minute, but that's all that Whitaker needs once he's got you on the ground and he's dropping them fucking bows on you, man. Don't get me wrong. Yes, those those will do a fuck ton of damage. But when it comes to that, because of Gaslam's jujitsu background, he can do that shit in his sleep. True. Or if he is sleeping, because he's put in countless enough hours to fucking do it after he's been knocked out, where it just comes natural. Muscle memory, it, it's fucking real. It's how it works. They'll drill the shit out of that stuff where he's probably so ingrained in it where he doesn't think about doing it. But like I said earlier, getting caught with a fucking couple of hands while he's up top before he ends up on the mat couldn't make a world of difference for Whitaker because he might rattle him enough to where his muscle memory fails him for a moment. However, 
on the other side of that, because Whitaker does have a black belt, I don't think that that jujitsu is going to be a huge factor once the ground and bond starts. Because you can only do so much from fucking the Brazilian jujitsu side of things to stop strikes from coming. I mean, yeah, you can get over hooks on them, but to better your position, let's say if he's in the guard or or he's got a or yeah, let's say he's in the fucking guard and he wants to better his position or to stand up or even fucking half guard for a second, he's got to get an underhook. And an underhook from half guard leaves you open to a nasty fucking elbow. Yes, it does. I'm just saying. So there's a lot of things that he's going to have to be prepared for if it goes to the ground. I mean, I know he's got faith in his jujitsu. As he should. And he should. He's got it from one of the best possible places to get a fucking black belt in Brazilian jujitsu. Hell yes, he does. But I really don't think that even with all of his Brazilian jiu-jitsu, unless for some odd reason Whitaker shoots a takedown without hitting him enough first, which I know is not going to happen, but there is always stranger things have happened. Fucking people going with crazy game plans. If that's the case, if he takes him down without throwing any strikes or landing really significant ones, that would be the only time where I would see that 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu kick in and really fuck up um, Whitaker's world. But he's gonna catch he's gonna catch some on the feet. Yep. And, and you said it earlier. Gaston has really fucked himself with one major thing. He says this is gonna be an easy fight. He's looking past this fight already. Which dumbest fucking thing you can do. Absolutely. Look, even even John Jones said it. The first time he fought Gustafson, he was already looking past him. He wasn't training hard. He was all partying. We get all that. But he was looking past him to the next fight already. Almost cost him his fucking and belt it, because of it. It did. It almost cost him. Whitaker's not going to look past you because guess what? He has nothing else in front of him except for to keep what's fucking his. So you need to fucking pay attention and not be looking past him. Oh, this is going to be an easy fight for you. No, it's not. You're going to go into war. If you come out victorious, and I say if, because I don't think you're going to, but if you do, you're going to know you were in a fucking fight and went, oh my God, I should not have looked past this. I got lucky with a fucking haymaker. Because I see that being the only way that you win this fight. Unless for some odd reason Whitaker does something stupid and takes you down early without any significant strikes, then your jujitsu will save your ass. Right. But other than that, you're going to know you're in a war because you're going to walk out with an L or you're going to get really fucking lucky and go, man, I'm sorry. I thought like that. I was stupid. Look at my face. It looks like hamburger. I might have the belt, but God damn it. Right. I well, should not have looked past it. And to your point of looking past it, uh, during this week, uh, yesterday, or, yeah, yesterday, when they were doing some of the, the unofficial press around the uh, open workouts and shit, I believe it was Brett Akimoto from ESPN, asked Whitaker specifically, you know, Adesanya and, and Silva are both on the card fighting right before you, and they've both been promised a title fight. What do you think about a potential fight versus Israel or a potential fight versus Anderson? Because obviously with them, you know, being told they both get a title shot on a win here, they're both realistically potential next opponents. 
Robert Whitaker's response without a fucking second's hesitation is, you know, I wish them both the best in their fight, but I'm not even thinking about that because that's not what I have to worry about. This weekend, I have to worry about Kelvin Gastelum. So the only thing that I'm thinking about right now is Kelvin Gastelum and how I can beat him. And that, I feel, is the difference in the mentality of a champion versus the difference of a guy who thinks he should be the champion. It is. You're 100% right there. That mentality of looking past someone before you've even walked into the cage with them, before that door is even closed, before you've walked down the aisle, before the champ has walked out after you, and you're already looking past him, you've made a grave error. And I will say that with 100% certainty. You go in there looking past someone saying this is going to be an easy fight. You're dead fucking wrong. There is no such thing as, for one, this is the UFC, the highest level. Yes, you're ranked up there for good reason. You've put on some fucking work. You've done, you've done your job to get where you're at. Yep. Why are you looking past the fucking champ? Of all people who has been steadily putting people away. Yep. Putting them away. Not just fucking decisions. He's putting people away. And he's making people with the likes of Yoel Romero look fucking bad. Yeah. I'm just saying, you got in the fucking fight with Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero is going to whip your ass, Kelvin Gastelum. Yeah. Period. Oh, yeah. That soldier guy, he, mm-hmm, Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I will say it right now. But you're looking past the champ. Dumbest thing you could have done in this fight camp, looking past him saying it's going to be easy. I get you want to play a mental game with yourself. Keep that shit to yourself. Don't say it out loud. Say, look, I had respect for him. My goal is to go in there and fucking win. That's perfectly acceptable. My goal is to knock him out or to submit him with my 10th planet jujitsu, which is fucking fantastic. Yep. But don't look past the man because you know what? That's your biggest error, and I think that's what's going to cost you the fight. Well, and, and actually, now that I think about it, in another perfect example of that exact scenario, the UFC 235 press conference this week, somebody asked John Jones while he was on the stage, what do you think about if you win this fight, another the, the potential three-peat, against DC, whether it's light heavyweight or at heavyweight. Without missing a fucking beat, John Jones looked straight at him and said, you know, that's going to be an interesting topic to talk about at another time. But right now, I have Anthony Smith in front of me, and he's not here for no reason, so I'm not going to disrespect him by looking past him. My fight is coming up. The DC fight is a potential maybe. So what I'm focused on is the fight right in front of me because Anthony Smith deserves my attention. Champion mentality, man. It is a champion mentality, and you know what? That also brings me up a good point uh, when it comes to people like this. Talking shit is perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. Talk shit about your opponent. Talk it while you're at the press conference, but also give them their due respect. Um, for one, um, same press conference. The man who got more questions than anybody on there. <laughs> fucking Ben Askren. Funky Ben Askren. I fucking love Ben Askren. I'm not even going to lie. I, that, dude, that dude has, he's fucking funny, but he also gives respect while he's trash talking. He was, he does. When he was talking about Kamar Usman. Marty from Nebraska. Marty from Nebraska. <laughs> if there is a point during there while he was talking, he said, 
the man's a phenomenal fighter in his own right and pointed right at him. He yep. gave respect where respect was due. That's, that, that's another part of that championship mentality that you have to have. And right now, Kelvin Gastelum, you are not doing that. You're not giving respect where respect is due. Do that. Don't say it's going to be easy. Don't look past the man. Have a champion's mentality if you want to be champion. You can't go in there like that. Don't get me wrong. There's some people who have managed, but um, you're not that person, and you don't have that kind of swagger, and I'm pretty sure you don't have an Irish whiskey either. I... I'm just saying, <laughs> but you're not that kind of person who can do it. That's that's all I'm saying. Just give respect where respect is due. You know, I'll even I'll even say it. Even Connor has gave respect where respect was due, and it, it may not have been in the press conference, but um, right. post fights, he he's always been pretty humble post fight, which I'll give him that. Which is surprise a win or loss, which. Yep. For a guy who's as mouthy as he is before fights, he, he does fantastic in that. Kelvin, you could learn a thing or two just from watching some of these other press conferences that people have, and maybe you need a um, maybe you need somebody to to write things for you speeches. Maybe you just need <laughs> to sit down with a notepad and go, "What do I like about this person? What makes them who they are? That they're so good at what they do." Don't go, oh, they're a walk in the park because, oh, you're in for a rude, rude awakening. Right, and, and of it, all people to say that about, of all fucking people, come on. Yeah, I mean, and when, when I say a rude awakening, I don't mean ravishing Rick Rude's rude awakening. <laughs> I'm talking, exactly. <laughs> I'm talking, you're going to come out of there looking like you got put through a fucking grinder. Your face is going to be beat up, cut open. You're going to have stitches in places you didn't know you needed stitches. Because with that kind of mentality, that's what's going to end up happening. And to be honest, I respect you as a fighter. You are a great fighter. Do I like your attitude? Fuck no. Not in the way you display it. It's okay to be cocky. You're at a top level. You, you have all the right to be cocky. That's perfectly all right. But looking past an opponent who, one has outdone you in every aspect of their career and two is the current champ yeah that's the big one yeah that's the big one right there he's got to see by him you don't um so i'm just saying be a little more respectful it'll get you a lot farther and not even respectful just give the respect where the respect is due that man has fucking earned it and i'm not saying you haven't earned some respect yourself because you have. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the position that you're in today. But come Saturday night, you're going to be in a position that you're unfamiliar with. Or at least it's been a while since you've been in this position. Right. I'm just saying, it's the way it's going to play out, because of your lack of giving that respect, you're going to look like the... You're going to look like the... You ever see the movies where you get the, the big brother and the little brother big brother's just holding down the little brother with one fucking hand and then just slapping the shit out of him. Yep. Same concept. Why? Because little brother didn't give him respect where respect was due. That's just what's going to happen. And you know what? At the end of the fight, you're going to be humbled. You'll have been measured. You'll have been weighed. You'll be a foam lacking. 
out you go out the fucking door. <laughs> I agree. I agree profusely. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's the list. That's what we've got to talk about for this evening. I hope everyone gets a chance to tune into the card this weekend and judge us and see if we were found lacking in our predictions and our breakdowns here. But we are going to go ahead and call that all for this evening. It looks like none of our other compatriots are going to be able to make it in tonight, but that's all right. There's always another one right around the corner. So, TJ, thank you again for your time. Let the people know where they can find you if they want to keep this conversation going. I mean, right. You guys can find me on the Instagrams at Golf T Vapes. You can find me on the YouTubes, Golf T Vapes as well. Wednesday nights, 9.30 Central Time. A little bit of shenanigans and some wonderful things that go on over there. Talk about a little bit of everything. So if you want to come in and talk some MMA with us in there, by all means, pop in. Feel free. Hit me up on the Instagrizzles. Inbox me. I don't care. I'll talk MMA with you any day. I do enjoy these on, so appreciate you having me on. It was a blast as always, and man, I'm looking forward to Saturday night because I, I, to be honest, it's the, the co-main event. That right there makes the night for me, but to see how bad Kelvin Gastelum is going to get his ass handed to him. Yes, sir. I just want to know how many open cuts he's going to have on his head from all them out. <laughs> oh, it's going to be exciting. It is going to be exciting. So, Thank you again, TJ, for taking the time out of your life to come here and talk some shit with me. I do appreciate it. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you who watch, listen, and talk some shit along with us, even if we can't hear you. We are looking to eventually make this into a live show that we can have some folks in the audience doing some live interactions with. We're just not quite there just yet. But keep an eye peeled. We are growing. We are moving along. You're getting a little more consistent. We're starting to get our schedule down here. So we're putting this shit together and we appreciate you all bearing with us. Keep along with us. Tell your friends so that we can grow this thing just a little bit bigger. We're going to call that off for this evening. Enjoy UFC 234 this weekend. I know we sure will be. We'll surely be talking about it as it goes on, but we're going to call it all for this evening. I am The Meter. You can find me on Instagram under The Meter Vapes. You can find me here on YouTube on I'm No Joe or on my vape channel, The Meter Vapes YouTube channel. So either way, you got a question, you want to talk some shit, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to respond. But that's all for this episode. So thank you again for tuning in. And remember, you can root for anything. Don't let ignorance stop you. Have a great night, folks.